BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. Well, the NBA trade deadline came and went. People keep telling me, you know how you build a winner in the NBA? Well, you use the draft, you use free agency, you use trade. Those are your three vehicles by which to build a contender. For years and years and years, we've heard people drone about that and tell us about that. And then what happens? I, uh, I wake up on, uh, in July during the free agent signing period, and I go, uh, what did the Blazers do? Nothing. Kings of small moves. Today, more small moves. Five second-round draft picks. A decent defensive player. Josh Hart going away. Gary Payton the second with the weirdest tenure ever by a Blazers player. Strange, peculiar things going on with the Blazers at one center court. But I don't want to pick on him. And it's not Joe Cronin's fault if we're being real about it. The GM of the Trailblazers inherited this mess. He, is, uh, he has been inside this operation maybe for too long. It's not like he had a whole bunch of moves to make whole bunch of asset assets but uh you know it, i just kind of feel like back in the day we were told uh you know hey what is the plan well we got a plan and it doesn't matter if it's neil Olshay or steve patterson or kevin pritchard or joe cronin or rich cho over the years we have been told the plan there is a plan we're not going to share the plan with you we have a plan but then these three occasions in which you can get better markedly better the draft free agency, and at the trade deadline, they come and go every year. And I watch Blazer fans every year frustrated. And the only takeaway I can have is not to blame Chauncey Billups or Damian Lillard, who's been very patient, I think, not to even blame Joe Cronin. And, heck, I might even give Neil Olshay a pass today. Maybe he was just infected by the uh, overall culture of a franchise that is in no hurry to go anywhere. Um, but I was left today thinking about the trade, and I wrote about this at johnconzano.com, the trade that needed to be made because there was a big deal out there for the Blazers, bigger than Kevin Durant, bigger than Kyrie Irving, certainly bigger than getting five second-round draft picks. Were there no third-round picks available? Uh, the biggest deal that you can have, uh, if you're a Blazer fan, that you could have had was trading the ownership of Jody Allen for the ownership of a guy like Phil Knight. And look, we talked about this yesterday on the show. We were kind of, you know, doing what everybody was doing. We were celebrating kind of the accomplishment of LeBron James passing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And we talked some about Phil Knight, who was sitting baseline alongside LeBron's children. And uh, it was seared into my psyche. Bronny on one side of the Nike co-founder, a sea of fans behind him with their cameras raised, capturing history. LeBron in midair, just frozen there, mid-shot, about to pass Kareem. Uh, Phil Knight was there for it all. His Nike sneakers are on the baseline. And, and I couldn't help but think that, you know, he does belong uh, on the baseline of an NBA arena. It's not the Staples Center. He belongs at Moda Center. Phil Knight, that's the trade. That's the trade that the Blazers need to make in order to take the step forward that, that they truly need to take step you know, forward. 
Phil Knight's going to turn 85 here later this month. And I've talked with a lot of people who have worked closely with him, his friends, his uh, former employees who worked, the high-level employees who tell me he's incredibly shrewd. Phil Knight does not like to get played. He cannot be happy with uh, Jody Allen's handling of his offer to buy the Blazers. And uh, all of those people are telling me he's a go-for-it guy. Like, he would not. Can you believe? Phil Knight would have, wouldn't have sat back at this trade deadline and been okay sort of rearranging the deck chairs, so to speak, on the Titanic. You know, you got Matt Ishbia with the new Suns owner, who basically threw a haymaker after buying the team by trading for Kevin Durant. You got Mark Cuban, who is a go-for-it guy, who took a wild swing in Dallas. Like, he's betting on Kyrie. I might not have done that, but at least you know Mark Cuban's trying, right? He's trying. And, and Danny Ainge in, in Utah is, you know, he's busy compiling first-round picks, not second-round picks. And, you know, yeah, I get it. Joe Cronin can take five second-round picks, and maybe he can parlay that into a mid- or a late first-round pick. He's not going to get a lottery pick for that. But I keep thinking, what would Phil Knight have done today? What, what would he have done at the deadline if he owned the Blazers? And that's not, that's not even the right question. The question is, what wouldn't he have done trying to win? The guy built the biggest sports brand on planet Earth. You don't think that guy's going to be happy sitting back going, you know what, you know, we're going to trade uh, Josh Hart for Cam Reddish. Yeah, you know, a little bit of an upgrade, and we get a guy who's got who's, might be a nice fit on the roster. Okay, let's celebrate that. Let's celebrate that in the way that the Blazer fans have been forced to celebrate a series of underwhelming moves at the deadline, on draft day, uh, in summer free agency for years and years and years and years. And it's and again, it's not. I don't think it's anybody's fault that's on this roster. Don't boo them. Don't blame them. I think that would be poor form. But I'm a little tired of it, and I just, I, I, I just can't feign the excitement today that some who are covering this team are trying to uh, position. They're trying to say, you know, it was an impossible position for Joe Cronin to be in. Yeah, we get that. It was a difficult spot. You know, what was he supposed to do? Yeah, we understand that. Uh, but, but the larger picture is a systemic problem that the Blazers have. This is a team that is watching a couple of teams that were around them in the standings get better, like markedly better. Dallas got better. Phoenix got better. The Lakers got better. They're watching these teams get better. And in the end, I, I feel for Blazer fans who have long been asked to uh, sit back and be patient. But, you know, I keep, I keep, I've written this. I've talked about it. Phil Knight needs to own the NBA franchise. He needs to own the Blazers. You know, and I get it. Jody Allen wants to wait for the TV deal. Uh, the league is looking for a billion dollars in streaming money. Uh, they're looking for, you know, obviously an extension of their current deal. Uh, they're going to cash in. But, you know, just like the Suns did with Ishbia in se- sending him, selling him the team for a record uh, amount of money, just bake it into the deal. I mean, Phil Knight's good for it. Like, I, I have no doubt that a negotiation with Phil Knight would leave Jody Allen happy in the end that she sold the team, cashed out, left it in the hands of somebody who's going to take care of it. You know, I know there's a bunch of people afraid that the Blazers are going to, uh, you know, somebody would buy them and move them away. That's not really my concern. My concern is that the Blazers will stay here and go nowhere. 
Like, I, you know, literally, that's the concern. It's not that they're going to leave. It's that they're going to stay, and they're going to just stand still like they have for years and years and years and years. And, you know, I don't envy the position Joe Cronin's in because I do think his hands are tied watching Blazers' ownership or trusteeship or whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, sort of meander their way through a season, you know, laughing and clapping on the baseline like they're the owner of the team while simultaneously not doing anything to really improve the conditions of this roster, the makeup of the of the roster, and frankly, you know, not willing to be a taxpayer. Uh, you can't tell me that Phil Knight, who had his toes on the baseline watching LeBron, wouldn't have said, you know what, I want some of that in Portland. I want some of this magic and this electricity in my NBA arena. That guy would go for it. And it's really, I think it's it's a bigger disservice. Like we keep talking about what a disservice it is for Damian Lillard, how unfair this is that Lillard is, uh, you know, never really, the team's never going to really capitalize on his talent that his best years were wasted. And and that's I that's a valid point. But it's not the biggest sin of the Blazers organization. It's not even close. The biggest sin of the Trailblazers Inc organization in the last 20 years has not been related to paying a player several hundred million dollars and having that player not have players around him. Lillard got paid. That's what the money's for. You know that if you work because you look up when you're doing something at work that feels like work if you're holding a jackhammer or uh, you know dealing with 30 kids in your classroom or you're driving a bus or you're working as a nurse in an ER. You will look up and you will go, hey, this is really hard, but that's what the money's for. Don Draper, right? Uh, Lillard got paid. No, no, no. The biggest sin in the last 20 years is the sin that has been committed against fans. That this organization has been content to sit still and do very little to improve, not take any wild swings, not take any big leaps, dare to uh, you know to try mighty things, as, as it's said, to not do any of that, and sell that to fans as, hey, you know, wait till next year. It's it's not that far removed from the Chicago Cubs and what they were selling to their fan base years ago. 503-417-7575. Who says no to the Phil Knight for Jody Allen trade? Nobody says no to that. I wrote that column today. You should read the comment section. Go to johnconzano.com and check it out. I, I don't base all of my scientific research on the comment section, but it is a rare thing when this guy weighs in with an opinion and has 100% of people in the comment section go, absolutely, yes, I would do that. Can you imagine how much fun this would be? Phil Knight with this team, it's a no-brainer. This is a kid from Oregon owning the team from Oregon. He apparently has passion for the NBA. He is uh, a guy who understands uh, what it is to build a winner. Um, gosh, this would be fun. How interesting. I'm not saying he's going to win a championship, but Phil Knight would try. 503-417-7575, what do you make of the winners and losers on trade deadline? Because I'm going to include you as a Blazer fan in the loser column. I don't mean you're a loser, but you ended up with a short end of the stick. As this franchise now will sell to you the idea that they can take five second-round draft picks and build a champion with it. Uh, meanwhile, Kevin Durant is suiting up in Phoenix. Kyrie Irving is suiting up in Dallas. The Lakers got better. And the Utah Jazz got first-round picks, among other winners on NBA trade deadline week.
Steven, you're back in studio. Peter, you're alongside. Judah's there as well. I got to know, guys, winners and losers in the deadline. Am I out in left field? If Phil Knight owned this team, you think they'd have five second-round picks today to show for their haul? Well, I do, uh, because all this was set in motion before Phil Knight could have even bought the team. But your point still stands. It does still stand. The Phil Knight would do whatever he could. Uh, I mean, it's a tough deadline. Blazer fan, it seems like this happens every year. Uh, I am not disappointed in the deadline because I kind of knew that this was about what was going to happen. My expectations were set reasonably, but it feels like there's a lot of, in the summer, you get underwhelmed and you go, well, wait till the trade deadline, and that's where we're going to make the move. And then you make the trade deadline little moves, and you go, well, this is setting us up for summer. One of these times, it's either going to be true or it isn't, but ultimately, it's just, it's like Charlie Brown and the football, right? Yeah, that's, yeah. My, that's my problem with it, is like Joe Cronin... You know, he came in and he said a lot of things that we wanted to hear as Blazer fans once Neil O'Shea got ran out of town, and none of them have come true. He hasn't followed. He hasn't backed that up one bit. And so that's my problem with it. It's just the same old thing over and over again. When Neil O'Shea made moves, it was we're going to go after these high-rated high school guys, high-rated you know lottery picks that don't pan out. We're going to get them on the cheap. Well, that's exactly what Joe Cronin did. When he's Thibel, first-round pick hasn't panned out. Cam Reddish, one of the top high school players in all of basketball, went to Duke, underperformed there, has underperformed for two other teams. He's now on his third team in four years. Like I expect nothing out of it. So it's just it's just the same old thing over and over, and we've been led promises, and it's not being fulfilled. And you know, it's at that point where now, like, then they even trade for Matisse Thibel and they give up draft picks. Well, if you're acquiring draft assets like you did for GP two, why are you even trading for Matisse Thibel? Why don't you just not bring anybody else and literally just try to tank? and get the best draft pick for Victor Wimbanyama, who probably is your best chance to win a championship is to get him. Like it doesn't make like it doesn't make sense the move that they did. Like they're 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 literally trading to stay in the eight, nine, ten range, which is the exact spot you don't want to be in the NBA. And so like as a Blazer fan, I've seen it so many times and I'm just getting tired of it. Yeah, and I think the other th- part is, you know, I think Phil Knight would hundred percent be willing to be a taxpayer. In the way that Paul Allen was prior to maybe 2003 when he looked up and said, hey, we're spending, we have the highest payroll in the league and we are the eight seed. That wasn't a good feeling for him. And I know why he backed off of that. You know, they had Sean Kemp at the time on the roster for $20 million a year. He wasn't even playing. And so I get it. I, you know, he didn't want to be a taxpayer. He didn't want to throw money away. But I, I 100% think that Phil Knight would go, hey, we're a small market team. The advantage is we have a relationship with Nike. The other advantage is, hey, I'm Phil Knight. And I think Phil Knight would go after uh, free agent signings that would, you know, disrupt, be a market disruptor. And that's what Phoenix is doing with this trade. It's what Dallas is doing with Kyrie. They're going to be disruptive. And I think Portland needed to join that fray. Unfortunately, you can't do that when you have a trustee running the franchise and you're infected by decades of culture, losing culture, and losing momentum. And I think they just face plant in the end. Winners and losers! On NBA trade deadline, 503-417-7575. Plus, on today's show, we'll deal with the Super Bowl. It's coming down the pipeline. Are you excited about it? I think it's a little underwhelming. I think people are it's going to sneak up on people. Secondarily, uh, George Kleofka's visit to SMU. Why didn't that stay a secret? The Pac-12 wanted it to be a secret. Plus, uh, a little bit of uh, a marriage between Washington and Washington State that was disrupted. I've got the backstory on the bill that got killed that was supposed to keep Washington and Washington State together if one of them tried to leave the Pac-12 conference. We'll talk about that, plus jackhammers. Why jackhammers? Stick around. I'll tell you why next. 
You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. One time uh, years ago when I was doing this show, I asked the audience, uh, you know, did anybody know anybody who was an electrician? And uh, lo and behold, I found a whole bunch of electricians who were excellent, outstanding electricians, and I was just looking for an electrician at the time. So today I'm looking for somebody who, um, who operates a jackhammer. And the reason why I want to talk with somebody who operates a jackhammer as part of their job is that all the time over the years I've told people uh, you know, people will tell me it happened today. They, uh, I was writing. I wrote this morning about the Blazers and the trade deadline, and then I wrote again in the middle of the day about Washington and Washington State and the state legislature and the state of Washington that is effectively killing the bill that would marry Washington to Washington State. Um, uh, you know, all of that. But um, I, uh, all of that went down, and I thought. You know, I said to somebody, somebody said, gosh, you're, you're working all the time. And I said, well, it beats holding a jackhammer. And then I mentioned it to Anna, and I said, you know, I've never actually worked with a jackhammer. Maybe the guy who's got the jackhammer that we all drive past is the happiest guy in the world. Maybe, you know, people always will say, oh, it's, you know, it beats digging ditches. Well, maybe the guy who is digging the ditches He's got his AirPods in, and he's carefree, and he's blowing off some steam. And at the end of his day, he, uh, he not only is you know getting paid for his work, but he feels like he got a workout. I never have finished writing a column and gone, I don't think I need to work out today. So I want to talk to somebody, if you're listening to this, and you happen to hold a jackhammer in the course of your day, I would love to know, like, how you feel at the end of the day, at the end of a week, is it therapeutic? You're breaking stuff up? You're breaking down concrete? You're removing a curb? What are you doing? I don't know. But we always say that. Maybe the jackhammer guy is the happiest guy in the world, or the jackhammer lady, for that matter. And I don't need Jack Coletto calling into the show. That's not what I'm talking about. I want somebody who has actually held a jackhammer and worked with it to go, hey, this is what it's like basically walk a mile in my boots 503-417-7575 is the phone number very interested in this uh either one of you guys ever held a jackhammer never never in my life um i've tried to avoid manual labor my whole life i've done a pretty good job i've done a few things but i'm terrible at like uh any any type of construction project so uh, it's a no for me I actually have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And okay. I I was like, man, 18 or 19 years old. It was my first job, and it was working for my dad. My dad was a contractor, so it was just doing, like, minimum wage grunt work for him. But I've held one, and I'll tell you, uh, I could see it being zen. It was not zen for me, John. It was uh, I was a uh, very tall, very skinny weakling and mm-hmm. just trying to keep that thing under control. And the way your hands vibrate, even when you're done running yep. it, man, your hands are just tingling like crazy. Yeah, and, I, and look, if you've held a jackhammer in your life and used it, I'll buy it if you tell me. It's a little therapeutic. You know, you're breaking stuff up, nobody's bothering you. But I don't want to go around perpetuating a myth and telling people 
that, hey, writing a column, a sports column, it beats holding a jackhammer if it doesn't actually beat holding a jackhammer. Maybe I should just say, hey, I love what I do. You know, I don't, I don't want to be that guy. That's, it's kind of snobby if you think about it. So jackhammer holders who have used a jackhammer, uh, if you might, don't mind putting the thing down for a second and calling me, maybe they're listening to the show while they're jackhammering. Uh, 503-417-7575. And what, let us, tell me what, what that's about. Because there's a lot of jobs that I think are manually difficult or physically difficult. I always see, like, in the summertime, people who work with tar and roofing. And I go, man, that can't be easy. And I can remember being in places that it was extremely warm, watching people tar a roof, and seeing the workers wearing, like, long sleeve sweatshirts and hoods. And, and uh, I thought to myself, like, wow. And then I talked to a guy, and he says, the reason why we do that is it actually uh, is cooler to keep uh, the perspiration near your skin. Like, we don't, you know, the worst thing you want is exposed skin. You're out in the sun. You're working with hot materials. Uh, we're getting several calls. I want to talk to people who are doing this kind of work. Ron is in Salem. Ron, help us out. How you doing, Ron? Hey, how you doing today? Good, man. Educate us. So, uh, I had my first experience with a jackhammer uh, last year working for a company up here in Oregon. Um, I hadn't done it before. Uh, I had done inside telecommunications work, which is pulling cables, and I'm out on the job site, and my foreman says, hey, grab that jackhammer. We need to break open this asphalt. I'm like, huh? Well, if you don't know how to work a jackhammer, it will work you. There's definitely an art to it, and, and it beats you up. It beats you up pretty good if you don't know what you're doing, and it is very tiring. For me, I always looked, the thing I always looked at is I, I saw the guys that clean out porta-potties, and I went, as long as I'm not doing that, mm -hmm. you know, it's okay. So that, yeah. that was kind of like my line right there. I got you. So, yeah. yeah. And you know what? Yeah. I'm sure the porta-potty guy's got a line, too. You know, but I didn't want to, I didn't mean any disrespect to the jackhammer community. But Anna's like, you know, maybe you should talk to somebody who operates one of those things. Maybe they're the happiest people in the world. Michael is in Vancouver. Michael, educate us. I don't know any happy jackhammers, man. That thing <laughs> is brutal. You're busting okay. up concrete, and if you don't get it small enough, you got to bust it up more with a sledgehammer. <sighs> so you've used so, one. Give, me, give us an idea of, like, what you're busting up, too. Concrete. Uh, got to replace a slab in a garage floor. There's mm. no room. You can't get a machine in there, so you're busting it up, and then you got to pick it up, haul it out, throw it in a freaking wheelbarrow yeah. or the trailer. And if you're lucky, you got a dump trailer. And if you're unlucky, you got to unload that trailer by hand too. Give it. What did What did you feel like at the end of a day when you're like busting up a concrete slab? Uh, like your whole body's rattling. Like, okay. It's not, a, not a good feeling. Sometimes, I don't know anyone who thinks it's therapeutic. If they think yeah. it's therapeutic, then you know. <laughs> <laughs> then you know they've been doing it too long, probably. Thank you, Michael, in Vancouver. Rich is on I-205. See, I'm getting an education here. I'm not that far off. Rich, go ahead. Educate us. Yeah, well, I've, I've read plenty of jackhammers, and like the other caller was saying, when you don't get it small enough, you got to use a sledgehammer. But it's not so bad once you learn how to do it. You know, there's a lot worse jobs, like, I've never had to work in a restaurant or that's where I, I just never flipped burgers or anything. I've always been at least been outside and uh, jackhammers and rock drills. They're your friends too. You know, I mean, you don't want to be doing that with a jet, with a sledgehammer, you know, I've, 
always rather have a jackhammer or a rock drill in my hand than a sledgehammer. At least, at least that thing's taking the abuse. And if you know how to use it, it's not so bad. Yeah, and it's give me an idea. When you're doing that and you set the jackhammer down, let's say it's, you know, hey, you're knocking off for lunch or something, do you continue to feel kind of the vibration of the jackhammer long after you've shut it off? Yes. And also, you, back, back in the day, you know, I'm a little older, and, uh, you know, we never worried about earplugs or anything, you know. Oh, man. And so I say, huh, a lot. And uh, and a lot of it's from, you know, concerts in the 70s and running jackhammers and saws without hearing protection. What are you and, doing now? If you're not working with a jackhammer, what are you doing now? I feel, oh, I, uh, I, I do automated entries. I make the beautiful gates move. And make the there beautiful you go. Gates. That's better. So, and you, so you can tell people at the end of your day, at least I'm not holding a jackhammer today. No, but I still have to do it sometimes. Yeah. So I'm 62 years old, and I still get her done. There you go. Keep keep up the fight, Rich. I appreciate you, man. Thanks for listening. See, we got jackhammer. The jackhammer crowd has weighed in. I guess I'm good to say, hey, uh, you know, the radio show today, at least I'm not holding a jackhammer, and I can say it with a straight face. Thank you to those who called in. Now you know. Coming up next, Joe Hoyt, Dallas Morning News. He was there last night. George Klyovkov was in the building trying to be in disguise. He put a baseball cap on. George, come on. You need glasses. You need a mustache. You know, he was at the SMU game, and everybody in the arena knew it. Pac-12 commissioner was visiting SMU. Are they for real? We'll talk to Joe Hoyt, reporter who was on the scene for the Dallas Morning News last night. He's next. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, the SMU basketball game last night against Temple was extra interesting. Interesting. SMU won 72-71. But in-house was George Klyovkov, the Pac-12 commissioner. He was wearing a baseball cap, NBA Finals baseball cap. Don't know why. Uh, Maybe because he didn't want to be recognized, but he was. There on the scene, Joseph Hoyt of the Dallas Morning News, formerly of Coin TV right here in Portland, friend of this show, Joe Hoyt, joining us now. Hey, Joseph, thanks for making time. Of course, John. Thanks for having me. How weird was that last night? Like, give me the – set the scene for us, normal game – SMU game, your world, Dallas Morning News. You probably got an editor calling you saying, "Hey, Joe, we need uh, we need a story on this." Yeah, weird is the uh, the perfect word. Maybe unique, even too. Um, you know, I've I've covered things of rumors before and interest, and you know, you kind of scope it out. Um, but I ended up walking around the entire stadium last night, probably filling my steps quota. You know, well into the first <laughs> half um, because we're just trying to find. Hey. I know this guy's here, but where is he? Um, it was super, super unique. I had fans coming up to me like, hey, do you see George Klyovkov? He's down there in the front row. And I'd be, I had to be like, hey, I'm sorry, that's not him. Um, <laughs> one fan said, I hope he's here. Um, and eventually, though, you know, we kind of look up in the suite and we're like, hey, that looks like two other Pac-12 officials, and that guy in the hat might be George Klyovkov. And ultimately, it ended up being him. So uh, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty weird for sure. I got some stakeout practice, though. Um, I don't know if I'll ever use it again, but I got it. Yeah, no boring days in this business, Joe, but uh, you did a really nice job sort of telling the story. 
you know, explaining to your readers and readers in general what was going on and how surreal it was. Uh, give us an idea of what he saw. How different was the atmosphere? What did fans do? Was it packed? Was it a good show? Yeah, and I think that's a great question because ultimately that was an 8-16 and 16 basketball team coming into the game that hasn't drawn a lot in Rob Lanier's first season. So if this was a normal day, crowd would not be you know very big on a on a Wednesday night game against Temple. But you know in the week leading up to the game, you know SMU said, "Hey, students, you're going to get free Dallas T-shirts. We got a limited amount, but you'll get free Dallas T-shirts. Show your ID. You'll also get a hot dog." And everyone's like, "Okay, you know that's that's a promo to get people out there. The crowds haven't drawn that much." And then it's like, "Hey, the football team's going to be there. First four row reserved." And it's like, "Okay." So ultimately, SMU, you know, they people I've talked to think that. They don't know where this league came from. Um, you know, this wasn't ideal to kind of have this weird shadowy but secret but not secret kind of visit. Um, but ultimately, they prepped to try and put a crowd together for George Klyovkov's vision. And, you know, it was a pretty good crowd. The energy was the best it's been all season. Ultimately, the SMU basketball team fed off it. You know, they went on a, you know, 21-5 to run to start the game and then ultimately one by one. So, um, you know, I mean, if George Klyovkov, you know, wearing an NBA Finals hat just like basketball, he got a good show for that. And I think he got a good idea of what a, you know, pretty decent crowd at SMU could actually look like for a basketball game. We're talking to Joseph Hoyt, Dallas Morning News. Uh, I linked to his piece uh, at com. I'll also tweet it out here momentarily. But, you know, how big would that be for SMU? How important is this? It was almost like, you know, when I was a kid, we my parents would say, hey, your grandma and grandpa are coming over, clean your room, and we'd run around and clean up. It kind of felt like that with SMU last night. Yeah, it's, I mean, this would be huge. This is something SMU fans have been, you know, craving forever. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of history if you go back to the Southwest Conference days. And since then, it's just been how do we get back? You know, they went through a lot of dark days. They've tried for a long time. You know, they believe for a long time they're a Power 5 team, but ultimately in 2016 they pitched to the Big 12 openly. Hey, we're interested. Big 12 decided not to expand. 2021 comes around. Big 12 is open for business. They choose Houston, Cincinnati, BYU, and Central Florida over them, which SMU fans said, oh, man, it might not ever happen. This, this is starting to feel, you know, 27 dresses style. I don't know if we're ever going to get married, um, you know, to a Power 5 conference. And, you know, this seems like a lifeline. This seems tangible fans last night you know really felt like oh this is our moment so the ones that did come out wanted to put on a show they wanted to be loud they wanted to do whatever they could to say hey if there's a little part i can play in ensuring that smu finally gets to a power five conference let's do it um you know i, I tweeted a photo mentioned jack joyce a senior from smu you know from nashville who's not from dallas not a legacy but there's so much history of southwest conference days around here that he kind of just is kind of he wants a piece of it he wants to feel what it's like to be a power five team so that's why he changes his baseball jersey his club baseball jersey they pack 12 on it um so there's a lot of there's a lot of excitement for what could be even though there's still a lot to be done it seems like joe hoyt dallas morning news is our guest uh look uh the pack 12 is you know either going to add smu or not if if smu does not go to the pack 12 what does their future look like it's a good question because I think as college football playoff expands, there actually is an argument that SMU might not—I mean—might be best served in terms of, you know, football competitiveness to just stay in the American Athletic Conference, use NIL, dominate the transfer portal like they did. They had a top five transfer portal recruiting class, added 17 players to it, um, and just you know win the Group of Five level. And if that happens when the college football playoff expands, you're going to go to the college football playoff. 
Um, you know, it's, it, that is something that's very attractive to them. But clearly when it, it's also an arms race in terms of money, and the money is not comparable between Group of Five and Power Five, especially as meteorite deals continue. I mean, that's something that's very enticing, obviously. Um, so if, if that doesn't happen, if the Pac-12 doesn't happen, SMU, you know, could stay Group of Five. Um, I'm, but they, I, you know, when July happened, they talked to the Pac-12, they talked to the Big 12, and they also talked to the ACC once USC and UCLA left. Um, so I think they, they've had a lot of confidence since then, which feels a little bit weird knowing, you know, what's happened in their history about conference expansion. But they continue to have confidence, and I think if the Pac-12 doesn't work out, they still have some options, even though that seems like the best option right now. The, it's interesting, um, you know, we don't really have a sense. Like, I've been to SMU's campus. I've seen basketball there. I've seen football there years and years ago. But I don't think we have a sense, Joe, of the money around SMU. I've heard stories of the boosters and the $100 million investment in the arena. Can you give us, you know, because you know the state of Oregon. You've worked here at Coin TV and, and other entities, and you understand, you know, you, you have some perspective. Give us an idea of SMU versus maybe, you know, it, through your eyes and what you saw in the state of Oregon and the Pac-12 before you left here? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I mean, I went to the University of Oregon. I think that, you know, obviously Oregon's, you know, light years ahead of a lot of programs when it comes to um, facilities, athletic, you know, donations, booster donations, you know, helps having Phil Knight. But I think SMU in terms of just money, there's a lot of it here. I, you know, like, I, like you mentioned, they're just pouring in $100 million into a stadium expansion now to a stadium that really needs it. Um, but they, they were able to get that money very quick for $100 million. They, you know, it's, it's a Kickstarter, then boom, next thing you know, it's happening. Um, you know, there's a lot of just, they, they have a $2 billion endowment fund here. So there's tangible evidence that SMU can spend with the best of them. Um, and I think a lot of people believe that maybe if they got into a Power Five, you know, that would even accelerate even more. Um, you know, there's an argument, argument to be made that they should have started earlier. TCU, for example, another wealthy DFW school started pretty early. Next thing you know, they go to the Big 12, and now they're in the national championship game. So um, there's a lot of money here to be had and a lot of money um, that is very comparable to what the Pac-12 offers at other schools. Joe, um, you know, it's it's exciting, I think, for people in Dallas, it, and I think people in the Pac-12 footprint just want this media rights thing done. Where is the level of exhaustion with SMU kind of talking about this? I'm sure people are eager to have it get done. And, in fact, I had one coach at SMU reach out to me uh, today and, and said, give me a timeline because we'd love to be recruiting to this. It has to wear and be on the minds of uh, the SMU community at this point. I, I think so. Um, you know, and I think that a lot of people, to be honest with you, John, are expecting it um, to happen. Um, I, I think – Pac I mean, I think SMU football coaches are already recruiting, hey, we're going to the Pac-12 eventually, you know, or we're going to go to the Big 12. They're recruiting that we will be a Power 5 conference. You come here and let's do it. You know, they just recently got um, a commitment from a four-star uh, wide receiver um, here in Dallas named Wildman Colley, who's fantastic and has a great name. Um, but, you know, that's a guy that had plenty of Power 5 offers who they just recently got to commit. And it's the second highest rated commitment they've ever had since 24-7 started ranking. You, you, you wonder, it's like, well, how much of that was a Power 5 pitch in order to stay in Dallas and play Power 5 but stay in Dallas? Um, you know, so I think people are ready for it, and I think people want it to happen soon. From what I've been told, I don't think this is eminent, 
Um, you know, I think that yesterday's visit was more procedural than, than you know, a coronation, as some people like to call it. Um, so, I mean, we'll see what happens. Um, but I think SMU fans expect and are kind of hoping and, you know, maybe desperate. There, there's a lot of words that can go with their feelings right now. Where would SMU be most competitive in your mind? Because we always talk about football or men's basketball, but where does SMU kill it as an athletic department? You know, I'm not sure the Pac-12 is equestrian team, um, but SMU does have the number one equestrian team right now. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, but I think, um, you know, we've seen before that the basketball team can be competitive back with Larry Brown. Obviously, some recruiting violations happened there. But I think one thing where SMU will be competitive is recruiting. And, I mean, and if they can be get the Power 5 label to their football program, they believe that they can keep some of these – you know, five-star recruits home. Um, you know, DFW is home to some of the best players in the country, basketball and football. And, and there's confidence that they could land some of these players if they had the Power Five label. It's kind of the monkey that they need to get off their back. Um, and, I mean, whether that actually would happen or not, once, you know, SMU were to get to a Power Five level, we'll see. Um, you know, I'm sure Oregon would like to <laughs> get every L.A. recruit um, possible, and I'm sure USC would like to get every L.A. recruit possible. Um but, you know, it's, it's, they believe they could be competitive in recruiting because they have that in their backyard. It's about a four-hour, four-hour, 15 flight from DFW to Seattle. It's about two hours and eight minutes to Phoenix. Um, is, are there any concerns about the travel wear and tear? Would SMU want a travel partner like Rice or somebody like that that could reduce some of the travel, or has that even been bantered about? I don't think it, it hasn't been bantered about, but I don't think that that's, much of a thought in the minds of SMU officials because, you know, you go back a decade ago, they were very excited to join the Big East, um, you know, and that's obviously dissolved and eventually became the American Athletic Conference. Um, but they still go to Temple. Um, you know, they still go uh, to the Florida schools. Um, they go up to Annapolis to play Navy. Um, I don't, so I don't think that travel to the West Coast um, would be that much of an issue or a conversation here. We're talking to Joe Hoyt, Dallas Morning News. Now, listen, Joe, my wife worked with you at COIN. She said, uh, ask him, because she knows you like Taco Bell back in your day. Uh, she said to ask him, now that he's in Texas, is he giving up Taco Bell for real Mexican food? The answer to that is no. Um, you know, once something, <laughs> once something etches in your heart, you know, even though it's probably, you know, clogging my arteries as we speak, but... Uh, it, it's there. It's in your heart forever, and you know, true love lasts a lifetime. So me and Taco Bell, we're, we're we're in it until the doctor says no. I love that. Hey, hey you could do worse than Taco Bell, you know, for your health. Trust me. Uh, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> hey, let's stay in touch on this. Uh, you know, I'm really interested to see what's going on, and uh, you know, can, great job reporting last night. Uh, that must have been a lot of fun for you because, you know, you've covered a lot of different things in your time. You know, just to be sent to an arena and go, hey. Right about George's visit, and oh, by the way, where's Waldo in the building? Like uh, that—that's got to be a pretty interesting assignment. Oh, it was very interesting. I had to make a couple calls to the editor and just be like, "Hey, can we do this?" <laughs> and uh, ultimately, it worked out well. But but no, John, thanks. We'll stay in touch for sure. Thanks for having me on. It, it meant a lot. All right, Joseph Hoyt, Dallas Morning News. Read him there. Follow him on Twitter. Former Coin TV reporter and writer, and uh, now uh, killing it at the Dallas Morning News. He did a great job covering this story last night. Uh, coming up, I'll tell you uh, about the big splash. What's the one thing you need to know? Plus, we're going to talk a little bit about 
uh, you know, the impending marriage of Washington and Washington State. Why did legislators in the state of Washington kill that bill that would have tied them together? Oh, this show, we never know where it's going to go, but stick around. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with The Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game. He's not making fun of Joe Hoyt's affection for Taco Bell. There are worse things that you can like. For example, uh, you know, uh, when I was in Salt Lake City, there's a place called Tony Burgers. And I got to admit to you, every time I drive by Tony Burgers, my car, my rental car or Uber driver or whoever, the rental car just pulls right into that parking lot. I don't understand why, but it does it. Taco Bell, I actually think Taco Bell, you guys think Taco Bell is healthier for you than like, McDonald's or other fast food places? Ooh, I don't know about that. At least a burger gives you, a, like a good sized burger, like a quarter pounder gives you, you know, some red meat, some protein. I don't, I don't trust that Taco Bell, man. I don't trust any of them. Like, I think yeah. they're all, they're all probably <laughs> bad for you. They're all bad for you? But if you had to, let's say you had to go for a year, like Morgan Spurlock did that thing, supersize me. It didn't work well for him at McDonald's. I think we should have Joe Hoyt be the Taco Bell guy. He, you know, he, Anna was, she worked with him for a couple years and she said the guy loves Taco Bell. He loves it. And, and br- believe me, in this business, like I've seen people eat bad because you're traveling, you're on deadline, there's no real lunch hour. It's not like Jackhammer guy that gets to put the Jackhammer down and gets to sit and eat. Sometimes you're just eating on the fly, you're eating on the run. Like, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Like, I remember my, one of my first newspaper jobs, they said, uh, you know, make sure you get something to eat. And uh, we were on uh, deadline, and I left, and I was in working at the Santa Cruz Sentinel, and I wandered down Pacific Avenue in Santa Cruz and found this groovy place that was serving uh, kind of these vegan burritos. Not really my thing, but, you know, had a, a spinach flower wrap around it. It was green. And I sat in there, and I ate the burrito, and I came back to the office, and they said, where'd you go? And I said, you told me to get something to eat. And they said, yeah, we mean at your desk, <laughs> like when you're working. Don't stop writing. Don't stop editing. Don't stop. You know, we had to stop the presses. So, uh, you know, I, I, think, uh, I think you could do worse than Taco Bell. I think there are some things. And it depends what you order, right? Like, I think, uh, you know, I have to look at the Taco Bell menu. But uh, I'd like to do a study on this now. Conduct a study and say, which is the food? Yeah. That you need to eat, do, like most. Do they still have that uh, that seven-layer burrito there? I think that's the most balanced. You get some guac, you get a little rice in there. That, that's that's a pretty balanced, uh, terrible for you meal. Uh, there used to be, a, they used to make a taco that was the hard show taco, and then they would put uh, a tortilla and put some uh, refried beans on it and put the tortilla around the taco. Now, I don't necessarily double think decker, that, yeah. The double-decker, double decker. I like the double-decker, but I don't necessarily think that's good for me, <laughs> you know? Well. But uh, I don't know if that was the right thing to order or not. But I digress. Let's go to the big splash. It's the one thing that you need to know today. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. But the big splash. Well, a flurry of trades. It was kind of wild from Kevin Durant to Phoenix, Kyrie Irving uh, in the run-up to the deadline to Dallas, 
Winners and losers. I mean, I think Kevin Durant makes the Suns a juggernaut right away. LeBron James and the Lakers got some help. I would include uh, the Brooklyn Nets among the losers. The Kyrie and KD era is over there. I think LeBron won. I think Denver lost. Uh, you know, when the trade with Phoenix went down, Denver was starting to surge in the Western Conference. They had a four-and-a-half game lead over the Grizzlies and Jamal Murray uh, playing well, but now you got to contend with the super team that is formed in Phoenix. Sorry. Uh, also, I think the 76ers probably won. Looks to me like uh, the Rockets maybe got better. The Bulls did not. The Warriors, did the Warriors get better? They got the James Wiseman situation, uh, you know, uh, basically uh, turned around. But they get GP2, a familiar face, back. So maybe uh, they have a defensive uh, improvement there, which is good for them. Uh, get a spark plug. But Blazers uh, feel like a loser to me because they just mostly went sideways. I get it. I get it. I'm just frustrated like Blazer fans are watching the same old, same old. But that's what you need to know. Uh, the trade that the Blazers needed to make, I wrote about it today, uh, it's Phil Knight for Jody Allen. Do that one straight up. Who says no to that? Nobody. Uh, leave it here. We're going to play Punch It Audio coming up, and I'm going to tell you about this legislative decision in the state of Washington that's interesting. There's some backstory to why the legislators in the state of Washington decided to let the bill that would have married Washington and Washington State together, they let it sort of fizzle and fade away. They're not going to push it, not going to make a law that requires Washington and Washington State to stay together. I'll give you the backstory on that coming up. Anna will pop into the studio, and then in the 5 o'clock hour, we're going to the Super Bowl. Do you want to go to the Super Bowl? Well, Haley Lewis, Haley Lewis is there, sports anchor at the NBC affiliate in Kansas City, will be joining us to talk about the Chiefs, and the Eagles, and the Super Bowl. All of that, plus a very rare jersey coming up. B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. This hour, Anna will pop into the studio. We'll probably get to the bottom of that Taco Bell debate. Is it healthier fast food than other fast foods? You tell me. I'm sure, like, Joe Hoyt looks healthy. He's a young guy, though. We'll play some Punch It Audio. Five o'clock hours, the happy hour, of course. We'll go to the Super Bowl in the 5 o'clock hour. Is the Super Bowl flying under the radar for you guys? I keep hearing people go, are you excited about the Super Bowl? People keep asking me that. Are you excited about the Super Bowl? And I'm like, well, my teams aren't in it, but it's a Super Bowl. I'm kind of excited about it in, in a way that I've always been excited about the Super Bowl. Is it flying under the radar for you guys a little bit? No, not for me because... You know, again, I look forward to the Super Bowl. It's, it's the championship game, but there's just too much lead-up. Like, I just want the game to be played at this point. And mm. so, like, just all the lead-up stuff is kind of it's redundant at this point. Like, I've heard I've heard all the all the schemes and the, the theories that people have. So I'm just ready for the game to be played. Do you think that the NBA trade deadline being uh, so close to the Super Bowl hurt the feel of the Super Bowl? 
I do a little bit, yeah. I th- I think so because you know, lo- you know, Radio Row is down there, and a lot of what people were talking about on the radio today was the NBA trade deadline because it was such a big deadline today with Kevin Durant moving, Kyrie Irving moving, and usually it would just be all football all the time. But I, I do think there's a little bit of that where the trade deadline happens today, and uh, you know, big things happen. So I think it was a good a good move by the NBA to have that, and you know, lucky that they had a couple of trades go through. Do you, yeah, if I'm the NBA, I want to steal that thunder every year. Because you know you have a captive media audience set up on Radio Row. You know that um, you know they always try to win Christmas as you know the holiday. Hey, everybody's going to be home watching. We want everybody watching the NBA on the holidays. So why wouldn't you try to go after you know Super Bowl week and peel away or siphon off some of the enthusiasm from that. I think I think there might be something to that. And but especially this year because the NFL tried to steal Christmas from the NBA. This was a big middle finger yeah. from Adam Silver, yeah. do you think? I, th- I think so, yeah. As, 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 you know, I keep thinking about Adam Silver. He's the last guy in the world I think would give someone the middle finger. But I, I think but I think this was the equivalent of the NBA going, you know what? You want you want to steal some of our uh, our luster? You want to invade our holidays? Well, we're coming back at you. How's this? Super Bowl week. We are going to have Kevin Durant go to uh, the Super Bowl city. How about that? And uh, not that he can control that. Uh, I think it did. I think it took away a little bit from the run-up. I also think the fact that it was Philadelphia and Kansas City. You know, if this were Dallas and Kansas City, if this were, uh, you know, San Francisco and Kansas City in a rematch, I think it, we would hear a lot more of it on the western part of the United States. But we got the East Coast NFC city and a repeat team in the Kansas City Chiefs that there may be a little bit of exhaustion with in the Super Bowl. We always hit, hear that. And I, I think even when the Niners were in the Super Bowl or the Cowboys were in the Super Bowl frequently or the Bills went three straight years, there's just an exhaustion that you get in watching the same team again. We want new matchups all the time. And the NFL does a pretty good job of getting us some unusual matchups, but not this one. I think it does lack a little bit of uh, geographical balance, uh, especially for the western part of the United States, which, you know, we get shut out of the college football playoff uh, in the Pacific time zone. So now we're also shut out of the Super Bowl. So maybe part of this is just, um, you know, we don't feel like we're part of the Super Bowl, other than the fact that it's being held in Arizona in the Pac-12 footprint. So could be some of that. Let's play some Punch It Audio. we got great sound today. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Fish Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. ESPN, Dave McMenamin talking about the vampire that was in the Lakers locker room. Russell Westbrook called him a vampire. Here's Dave, punch it. Well, this was the time to do it. Russell Westbrook was not going to be a part of the team after this summer when his contract expired. And, and also when his contract came off the books, the Lakers would have less money to deal with in the free agency uh, period this summer. So you had to do it if you wanted to get those pieces. You could have part of the team moving forward. You get younger, you got shooting, you got switchable defenders. And as one source told me, you remove a vampire from the locker room. Uh, that meaning a vampire sucks the blood, the blood out of the locker room. Uh, Russell Westbrook moves on. Westbrook moves on. You talk about 
addition by subtraction, I think the Lakers did get better. Who were winners? Well, it's easy to see the Suns as a winner with Kevin Durant. Uh, it, the Denver Nuggets and the Memphis Grizzlies as losers. Here's Brad Botkin of CBS Sports declaring the losers. Punch it. It's sort of like the old saying, if, if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. And I think the teams that didn't get better in light of a guy like Kevin Durant going to Phoenix, um, Kyrie Irving going to the Mavericks, if you're Denver, if you're Memphis, these teams that we were talking about, they might be the favorites to come out of the West, but they didn't keep up with the Joneses, and so they suddenly now fall back, I think, in the conversations. Yeah, look, part of that is true. I feel bad for Denver because I do consider, like, Denver and Memphis to be kind of like, you know, cousins of the small market NBA Blazers. Uh, but this is show business, not show friends. And in the NBA, you can make a move like Kevin Durant to the Suns. And and all of a sudden, you, you tip the equation in the Western Conference. Adrian Wojnarowski, ESPN, talking about just that. Punch it. After the Kyrie Irving trade last week, the conversations between Kevin Durant and Joe Tsai, the owner in Brooklyn, Sean Marks, their GM, you know, they started to move toward the idea that if there was a deal that could be done in Phoenix, that Kevin Durant would certainly be open to it, and, and I think even eager for it. And Matt Ishbia, the new owner in Phoenix who just was approved last week. He wanted to get Kevin Durant. They tried to do this deal without Mikel Bridges. That wasn't going to happen. And there was back and forth yesterday and then tonight. And there was a thought tonight that maybe they would carry this conversation over to tomorrow. The Suns were looking at some other trades out in the marketplace. Uh, but what got it done, Mikel Bridges in this deal, four unprotected first-round picks, a pick swap, uh, all going back uh, to the Nets uh, for Kevin Durant. And uh, just a remarkable, uh, remarkable deal for the Suns. Yeah, good for the Suns. Also probably good for the NBA. I think it was good to kind of break up that cloud that was hanging over Brooklyn. And part of it was Kyrie, but also if Kevin Durant stays in Brooklyn, this ends up being a problem in Brooklyn that perpetuates all season long. What are they going to do with Durant? What are they going to do with Durant? And I and I, you know, we even talked about it. Like, would something happen? I was glad that it did happen because now we don't have to talk about, you know, is is Kevin Durant going to want out at, in the summer? Like, you know, he's out. The Suns are making a run. Give credit to Ishbia, the new owner of the Suns. He's taking a big swing. And you know, it. I always find it interesting when an owner sees a, a window. And what do they do with the window? Some of them sit there and look at it. They ponder. You know, they, others, they jump through the window. Ishbia, if he has sent any kind of message to his fan base with this move, it's that they're, they're going to be part of the equation. They're going to be part of the fun in the NBA. He is jumping through the window, and he's trying to bring Kevin Durant with him. Do you think it makes the Suns the favorite in the Western Conference? The betting market thinks so. They're the new favorites. They're plus 230 to win the West with Denver right behind them, 370. Pretty big jump as they were, I believe, fifth or sixth going into the trade deadline. Um, I, I don't know if I think they're the favorites, but I think it makes them close. It makes them close, and it makes the West way more interesting to me. Because, you know, we had talked about this maybe before the deadline that, you know, it was kind of a mixed uh, bunch in the West. And 
you know, the Warriors who are sitting at nine and have an injury to Steph Curry, could they make a run? The Lakers felt like they were too far away. Dallas is interesting with Kyrie now, but but could you really pick them to win? Do you trust this to be that, like, are they good enough now to win? And, and so I think people were still looking at Denver going, could they run away with this? And I now I think we've got a real race in the Western Conference. It's great for the NBA. It's going to be great for people talking about it and being around it. Uh, Roger Goodell. Uh, Jim Trotter asked Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL, when they will hire a African-American person in senior management for a full-time position in the NFL in the newsroom. Roger Goodell talking about the newsroom. Punch it. And so I would ask you as an employee, when are we in the newsroom going to have a black person in senior management, and when will we have a full-time black employee on the news desk? Well, Jim, um, I am not in charge of the newsroom, um, so I, what I think the, the – can I answer your question? As you point out, it's the same question you asked last year. And we did go back, and we have reviewed everything we've been doing across the league. And we are looking at everything from vendors that we're working with to partners that we're working with to ownership where we've seen significant changes in diversity just this year. And I'm not specific, do not know specifically about the media business. We'll check in again with our people, but I am comfortable that we made significant progress across the league. I got a lot of respect for Jim Trotter, and I've known his work a long time, but he is the columnist at NFL.com. And he's, you know, formerly with ESPN and Sports Illustrated. Guy went to Howard. Uh, he is uh, well-respected by other media members. And he basically just points out the hypocrisy of the NFL saying, hey, look, we're about diversity. We're about equity. We're about inclusion as core principles. But, hey, even in Trotter's sphere, you know, he's looking at an executive team that is doesn't have diversity. Uh, I think it's a great question, and I love that he's – an employee of the NFL, more or less, questioning Roger Goodell publicly. Did you like Goodell's answer saying, I'm not in charge of the media no. room? No. <laughs> I hated it. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah, give us, like, okay. And the other thing was, he's not surprised by the question, right? He just said, it's the same question you asked last year. And I cut the question off. Like, he, he went off for 90 seconds on his question to give Goodell a chance to think about what he was going to say. And I cut it down to about 15 or 20 seconds of the question. So that was his answer. That was, it was a bad answer. Yeah, I think it's a bad answer because if you're Roger Goodell, you're in charge of the NFL. And, and the NFL is really interesting. I saw, like, immediately in the wake of this, the NFL released sort of some numbers on the number of African-American presidents, team presidents in the NFL, celebrating hires like Kevin Warren to the Chicago Bears as the team president. And... You know, it just, I, I kind of shook my head at it because I was like, this is in direct response to Trotter's question. Uh, good for Trotter for asking that question. We'll try to get him on the show, but I thought that was interesting. Let's turn the focus to the actual game in the Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes was asked about uh, endorsement deals. Does Patrick Mahomes have a weird voice? He sort of seems to think so. Here's the Chiefs quarterback talking to reporters, punching. No, people made fun of my voice for my entire life, so I've gotten used to it. It's like the the joke that keeps giving. So uh, I've, I've heard it all. I've heard the Kermit the Frog. I've heard 
I've heard uh, the smoking, uh, whatever, smoking cigarettes, whatever it is, but uh, it's unique. And so maybe I'll get like a, a deal from that, having that unique voice. Yeah, the Muppets are going to want Patrick Mahomes on the show. I don't know. I never thought of him as Kermit the Frog. Now I'll never be able to not hear Kermit the Frog when uh, Patrick Mahomes is talking. Anna's going to pop into the studio. Our 5 at 5's coming up top of the hour. Plus, we'll go to the Super Bowl in the 5 o'clock hour. We'll get a visit from Haley Lewis, the sports anchor at NBC, uh, the affiliate in Kansas City. She'll be joining us to talk about the Super Bowl show, everything around the Super Bowl, the distractions, what is it like in Arizona, as uh, the media in Arizona want to talk about Kevin Durant. But the Super Bowl is looming. Leave it here. you got the BFT. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Anna's popped into the studio. Um, Anna, a couple of things. Uh, first of all, I uh, I miss the college kid. Yeah, she's off at college. We haven't. I haven't really talked to her since she went back uh, from break, uh, like January second or third or whenever they went back to school. Yeah, it's been like you know a month. I know. I haven't talked to that kid. I miss her too. I don't think though she wants me to show up. <laughs> Unannounced. We've been going on back campus. And, well, unannounced, no. I don't think did, she wants like. Did hey, you want that hey, when I'm, you were in college? I'm an hour away. Yeah. What no, are you doing? You no. know, she doesn't want that. But uh, I took a, a photograph. Like, you know, I save the cards the kids give me at Father's Day or whatnot. Yeah. So I had this picture that she had given to me of her and I when she was like maybe five or six. Mm-hmm. And uh, I put it up on the wall here in the studio, as you can see. It's cute. Yeah, so uh, I just took a picture of the picture and texted it to her. It's the next best thing from showing up unannounced. Because if she's not ready to see me, she doesn't have to look at the text. No, it's actually way better than showing up unannounced. <laughs> what are you doing? You guys hanging out? You mind if your dad hangs out? A bunch of college kids? Oh, my no? gosh. Old school style. Did your parents, did your mom ever come see you at college? Or Oh, lot. don't even open that can of worms. Let's do it. Is she listening? Does she listen to the stream? Oh, uh, yeah, probably not. Um, she's a podcaster. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, she would come, you know, my mom's way of visiting is to come uh, without a lot of notice and then to have an open-ended departure. Yeah, I know, and she, does, she does that now. Right. That hasn't, that's been a trend. And so that's kind of what she would do in college. She would just kind of show up and she would never say when she was leaving. So she could be there for a weekend or three weeks. It, you know, you were never, never really sure. When she was done, when she got... When she felt like she got what she needed out of the visit, she mm -hmm. would leave. Yeah. So that that's good to know. Mm -hmm. My parents never showed up at college. And, or maybe they did and I didn't notice. Or I wasn't home. Yeah. You know, but uh, I don't, I'm not going to do that to her. I just, I want to put it out there that I miss her. Yeah. Okay? That's yeah. all I'm saying. Uh, second thing, you know how we had this conversation earlier today about where I say, you know, hey, you, you know, why did you write twice today? Yeah. And I say, well, you but know. That was my question to yeah, you. Yeah, it. It uh, it doesn't feel like work, or it beats holding a jackhammer. Yeah. Well, it turns out, I in the hour one, I asked for calls from people who operate jackhammers <laughs> and said, hey, am I doing you wrong by saying 
that my job is easier than holding a jackhammer. Well, right, because you don't want to make the assumption that, you know, that job is so terrible. Like, maybe they get a lot of fulfillment out of that. Maybe, as Peter said, maybe it's zen. Yeah. To hold the jackhammer and break up yeah. things. Like maybe I, it's cathartic. There's part of that that actually appeals to me, breaking stuff up. Mm -hmm. uh, but the jackhammer operators called in. Yeah. And Stephen can back me on this. To a man, they said... It sucks. <laughs> Am I summarizing that right? Yeah, that was, uh, it sucks, especially if you're not used to it. That's the thing. Mm -hmm. so, so it's unanimous. Yeah. Basically, they feel like they got hit by a dump truck at yeah. the end of the day. They can't hear anything. Right. And, you know, their uh, arms There's are vibrating. Nothing feel... redeeming about holding There's... a jackhammer. So I've, I've yeah. had that right. It's, yeah. a, it's redeeming to me. The only redeeming thing is that I've, I've got that analogy right can we move on to the ditch diggers then i mean <laughs> is that the next profession we should put the call out for but but by the way it's hilarious to me that you can be like hey jackhammer operators call in and like four of them call in people think like twitter's awesome because they'll tweet <laughs> like hey i'm in town what's a good place to have breakfast and everyone goes oh this place this way uh, anything you need on this show, yeah. there's 60,000 people listening like, you know, hey, we need an electrician. We need a plumber. We need a, here's, here, here's what I want to do. I want to open the lines up yeah. as evidence of this. Uh -huh. I want our listeners to tell us what's the worst job you've ever had. Let, what is the worst thing you've ever done for money as a job? Uh -huh. The worst thing you've ever done. Because one of the jackhammer guys says... He looks over and he sees the porta potty guys and he goes, Well, at least I'm not the porta potty guy. Right. You know? Yeah. But I want to know what's the hardest or worst job you've ever had? 503 417 7575. Tell me your worst. What popped into your mind? And, and by the way, there is no wrong answer here. <laughs> and you can enlighten a whole bunch of us and maybe spur some memories and, and some uh, shaking of the head from the rest of the audience by sharing this or maybe just get it off your chest. What's the worst job or most unpleasant job or hardest job that you've ever had? 503-417-7575. And I know like some guy is tarring a roof right now. Yeah. Is going to be like, I need to set this thing down right now, put this bucket down, let me get my phone out. I want to hear from you. I'm very interested in this topic. Uh, third thing that was on my list to talk with you about in this segment, Anna, Joseph, Joseph Hoyt of the Dallas Morning News. Joe! We had him on earlier, former COIN co-worker of yours, COIN TV in Portland. Love Joe. Uh, Joe reported that he is still eating Taco Bell despite living in a hotbed of Mexican food down there in uh, Texas. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, come on. He's got great access to Tex-Mex, and he's still stuck on the Taco Bell. This guy... This guy has a real Taco Bell thing. We've got so many people calling in right now that want to share their job experiences. I want to get to you. And so just hang on. If you're already holding, hold on. We've got a bunch of people holding. I want to hear about these jobs. Let's start with Bert in Portland. What's the worst or hardest or most difficult job you've ever had, Bert? Uh, I picked up radioactive coyote scat uh, in the Battelle National lab over in uh, Tri-Cities area on Rattlesnake Mountain. Oh, man. And uh, you mentioned you're supposed to get paid. It was an internship, and I got to uh, live with free room and board with a postdoc student. Oh, man. He fed me rice cakes and apples and peanut butter all summer. And then I changed <laughs> my major. <laughs> so, wait, so it was radioactive 
coyote coyote poop, and you were supposed to pick it up. What were they doing with it? They're studying it. So it's a pretty interesting thing. They uh, they basically we we caught the coyotes. It's an undisturbed area for like forty years since the like World War Two or whatever, right? So it was a pristine area. So you got a, a pure view of how the coyotes behavior acted. So anyway, they would catch insert. They had surgery, and they put like a really low level radiation into the basically the coyote's butt, and then every time it defecated, a very small dose of that came out and stayed with the um, um, radioactive. It's amazing. Now, if you're doing something, what do you do now? What's your job now? Uh, I'm a controller for a wind energy company. Okay. So, you know, on a hard day, do you go, hey, at least it's not radioactive coyote crap? Yeah, uh, although walking through the desert at certain times of the year is very peaceful and enjoyable until you accidentally step on top of a rattlesnake. That, that means interesting, <laughs> yeah. but... Yeah, you know, when you said... Going. Yeah, when you said rattlesnake mountain, uh, I was like, yeah. I'm out. Bert, thank you. I appreciate that you listen. That is what I'm talking about, people, the power of this show. Twitter has nothing on this show. Radioactive coyote Elon scat. Musk should buy this show <laughs> if he really wants to own something. So many more questions Okay, for Eric's in Forest Grove. Eric, uh, what? Can, tell us about your hard job. Uh, in my 20s, I worked out uh, in the woods logging, and that was a uh, real pain in the neck. Logging. What's the worst part about logging? Uh, waking up. At three in the morning, get there at five in the morning uh, before the sun rises, and then working all day and driving down two hours back and not getting paid for it after Oof. risking your life all day. It's brutal. It's brutal. It was, it was brutal. It was very brutal. What are you doing now? I'm a journeyman for local 16. I do like eight back and architectural sheet metal. And and you, do you look up and go, hey, uh, you know, on a hard day, it it ain't logging. Uh, yeah, yeah, I really do. I'll look at some of the people complaining and be like, you know, you could be in the woods and we'd be freezing in the rain right now, right? You weren't like the last guy who was like, well, there was the upside of walking through the desert. Yeah, no. <laughs> no. Appreciate you. Appreciate that you listen, Eric, in Forest Grove. What he's talking about is perspective. Former logger living in Forest Grove. Yeah. Like for Forest Grove. Well, he, got, he, needed, he, he liked to stay with the forest, but not the actual logging. Uh, he, he's got life perspective. Mm-hmm. That's what he has. Sean is in Northeast Portland. Sean's going to tell us about his difficult, hard job. Go ahead. Hey, John, I love yes. your show. Thank you, Sean. Hey, uh, so back in the late 1980s, I worked for UPS down at the Portland International Airport, their next day air service. Mm-hmm. They've got these containers that fit inside 747s and whatever. So there was some kind of drought or something going on in Kentucky, I believe, where we were shipping bales of hay back to Kentucky for these starving horses. I do that with the finger parentheses. So the big wigs came out. The news came out. They're showing us guys in 100-degree weather stuffing containers with bales of hay to go back to horses back east for whatever reason it lasted for two weeks and i think about that it was brutal brutal what did your arms look like at the end of your work shift from the bales of hay okay now that was a bonus (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, they look pretty good, you know. Yeah. I was young. I was in my yeah. 20s. They look pretty yeah. good. You were working yeah. out. But you, that, yeah. the fact that – did you know it was going to end at two weeks? Did you Could you see the light at the end of the tunnel, or did you think this is going to go forever? No, I knew it wasn't going to go forever. But, it, yeah, there was light at the end of the tunnel, but it was a tough haul. Trust me. Yeah. It was uh, – and on any, top of that, I suffer from hay fever, so that didn't help the situation. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, Sean. <laughs> yes. Yes. But I'll tell I, you what, you know, there's nothing better than a good, honest, hard day's work. Mm-hmm, Digging a right. ditch, working a jackhammer, you, you, you come out of that somewhat satisfied as well. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I appreciate you listening, man. Thank you for calling in with that. Uh, when I was a kid, we... Uh, we worked with bales of hay. I knew this was going to be a when I was a kid story. Bales of hay, <laughs> it's difficult. Yeah. It's difficult. You're dealing with a lot of stuff yeah. with bales of hay. Okay? They you're are, not baling the hay. No. You're, tra- you're, you're moving like, around moving. bales of hay. Yeah. I've done that. I've mm-hmm. done that in the heat of summer at 100 degrees. It's not fun. <laughs> it's it's uh, ridiculous manual labor. Yeah. And it... Um, I, when I said to him, what did your arms look like? Yeah, what like? were you getting at there? I, I, I get what he was saying. Like He probably had hay hooks or something that he was working with, mm-hmm. or maybe the hay was bound. But if you're working with hay like straw or alfalfa or, or oat hay, you're going to have scratches and marks all over your arms. It's going to look like you were wrestling feral cats mm-hmm. at the end of, of a day of that. Believe me. It's cute when your rural shows. Yeah, thank you. Bruce is in Portland. Bruce is going to talk to us about his job. Bruce, tell us about it. Hey, John. I've had several, but uh, by far the hardest was back in the 80s and 90s. I was a commercial fisherman up in Alaska, uh, mainly for salmon and other species. But like in the winter of 1990, I got offered a job on a crab boat. This was way pre-deadliest catch stuff. Um, Out in the Bering Sea, two months straight. It was a catcher processor. We had six guys that rotated on deck. Four guys are always on deck. Two guys are always sleeping. The boat ran 24-7, two months. By far, 18-hour shifts, you get six hours off, you know, to go eat and sleep a little bit. Um, by far, the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, I probably lost 20 pounds, and I don't have a lot of weight to lose. It yeah. was it was crazy hard. What was the hardest part? I mean, like, are you someone who gets seasick? Is that the hardest part, or is it just the grind every day? It's the if you're if you get seasick, you'll though they will helicopter you off. You can't work if you're seasick. Huh. I mean, after you kind of get over it if you, initially, but uh, it, it's the grind, man. It's just dealing with heavy stuff all the time. And it's the cold, you know. You're out mm. in the rain and the spray and the cold, and it, I wouldn't do it, well. It's it's tough, man. It, it was hard, and I I do uh, I'm a remodel residential remodeler now. Um, supervisor for a company, and I've I've done a lot of hard stuff for that, but nothing compares to to crabbing out in the Bering Sea. I mean, crawl space work, insulation work in attics, all that stuff. Nothing compares. Can I ask you? Um, you know, when you go, let's say you go to a restaurant, can you order salmon, or do you do you like after you've had that experience, do you go? I'm good. I don't need to see fish ever again. Oh, I love seafood, but very, I got okay. spoiled because it was so fresh, and you had it mm. all the time. You know, you, you you get down here and it's like, yeah, you're you're you get picky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Kind of food you're picking and eating, and, you know, unless it's fresh, it's like, ah, all right, I guess I'll eat it. You know. You uh, learn a lot. Crab, there's nothing better than king crab. 
You yeah. learn a lot out there, I'll tell you that, about yourself and about fish. Thank you, Bruce, for that. I appreciate that you listen. I'm starting to feel uh, really bad that I'm complaining about how hot it is in the studio. <laughs> yeah. I can't think. Bro, it is hot. I can't think. I can't talk. I want to take a nap now, but it's, it's too right. hot. All right. I want you, if you're holding right now, I want to hear about your worst job. Stay tuned. More ahead. 503-417-7575. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Anna's here. I'm here. So are people who have had difficult jobs. Radioactive coyote crap. Scat. Scat? Scat? Can I, is is crap uh, not good no, to say? No, you can say crap. Uh, it's your show. Uh, all right. Like, scat, crap, it's the same to me. Uh, <laughs> the second guy was a logger. Third guy was bailing hay. Fourth guy was on a commercial fishing boat. I can't wait to see what comes up next. By the way, who had the most difficult job I I that we've heard so far? The commercial fisherman. You think that's harder? Because you can't. For me, I mean, it's a subjective thing, but yeah. Like two months at sea in the cold, sideways wind, working and sleeping for six hours, like sleeping six hours a night and then getting up to work again. That sounds not like a lot of fun. There you go. Uh, I think the. What uh, do you think? I think the guy who was wandering around Rattlesnake Mountain looking for coyote scat <laughs> may have the ace in the hole there. Radioactive. You know? Coyote yeah, Scott. like it just kept getting worse. Uh, <laughs> let's go to Mike in Salem. The number's 503-417-7575. I'll get back to sports, but I want to know about the worst job you've ever had. Mike in Salem joining us. Go ahead, Mike. Well, since you're talking about coyote crap, I had a calf once out in Eastern Oregon when I lived there, and I had an excavating business, and calf got out. I saw the cow baying for the calf, couldn't find it, went over the neighbors. He'd gone on the top of the summer Baumbach said, you know, the grass grows greener on the septic tank. Well, there's about a four or five hundred pound calf got on top of that septic tank, was eating the grass, and the top fell in. Oh, no. Calf oh, no. Down on the hole. And <sighs> for some of my neighbors, but still, you, and they weren't home, and I'd see him down there. I thought, get a rope and try to drag it out and choking it down, and if you get them too tired, they'll just quit. But couldn't dig up the lawn, even though I had a backhoe, so I had to get down there in a chain, in with the calf, get its legs up, put a chain on it. And crawl back out and hook it on the backhoe and drag it out. Oh man! And, every, and they hadn't taken care of the tank properly, so it was had everything that they left it with. And I'd never <laughs> forget that calf running back to that same hole through the fence, went through it, and the mother cow looked at it and took off running the other way. Wanted <laughs> <laughs> no part of it. <laughs> no, and then I just went and found a hose, and that's, that's a crappy day, I guess. I guess you got that right. <laughs> what do you do now? I'm retired. I. Got out of that business a long time ago. I'm retired. I'm, All right, I'm it, it, tell me with something. People who are retired always say they're busy. Are you busier now that you're retired? I am, actually. I my, I got grandkids that are just hitting the ages where they play ball. I got a you know, fourth grader, a sixth grader. I'm sitting outside a basketball game right now ready to go back in for the 13-year-old. So between the grandkids and, and that, we stay very busy. We really do. And it, it's a lot of fun. It really is. And, I refereed basketball for 20-some years in high school, so I get a particular kick out of watching watching these games and criticizing the refereeing, of course. So. Yeah, but you're busy. Uh, people always say that. Re retirees say, well, I'm busy. I'm so busy. 
busier than I've ever been. Yeah, but he's busy going yeah. to his grandkids' like sports games. That's different, a good busy. Different kind of busy. He's not uh, cleaning off a calf that fell into a septic yeah. tank. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a bad gig. Paul's in Portland. Paul, what do you got? My worst job, John, was my first job. It was the scariest job. It was to help a maniac take over the world. Typical was a Saturday. He got... He insisted I show up at the office at 7 a.m. so we could get in his pickup, go to Point Magoo where there's a naval base, go in between the barbed wire gates, pass the guards, pass the German shepherds, go to the Cinderblock hut, go inside and scoop uh, highly classified secret and top secret documents, piles and piles, put them in the back of his pickup, which almost went over a cliff. I was determined that he wouldn't get the top secret ones. You could see in the top right corner on the first page of each document, like a time circle, and there'd be an arrow pointing whether this was top secret, secret, highly classified, classified. Everything that was top secret, I made sure he, Tony didn't get them. That what are you doing now, topic. Paul? Paul, what are you doing right now? What's, what's right your now job? Right now I'm writing now? a play about a, college, a, a, a head coach of a college football team that goes to NFL pro football thinking he can order around men the way you order around boys. Yeah, that's the Chip Kelly story, more or less. <laughs> Phil is in Portland. Top secret. Phil in Portland. It's like an episode of Lost. <laughs> Phil, go ahead. Hey, John, how do I, how do I follow that? <laughs> you just have to go. Yeah, just keep going. You notice I didn't okay, really so address I didn't address the top secret part. I just moved right along. <laughs> During college, I uh, worked at a pea cannery in Walla Walla. I uh, worked every single day of the summer. And we only stopped if it rained. It never rained. And here's the best part. It worked the graveyard shift because it was only 100 degrees in the warehouse uh, during the graveyard shift. Mm. Oh, man. That's rough. What was your actual job in the pea cannery? And you'll love this. I was an empty can depalletizer. A what? <laughs> Say what? Exactly. I took the cans and put them into the machine, and people put the peas in the can. And here's the secret. <laughs> Every pea is exactly the same, no matter what brand you buy in the back of the warehouse. It's just the different labels that they ship in. Man. Good to know. See? You learn something. Yeah. Next time I am telling people, you know, that I enjoy my job, <laughs> they'll say, why, you know, you wrote twice today. Why did you write twice? And I won't say, you know what? It's Beats holding a jackhammer. I've got a whole <laughs> list of things now. I got a whole list of things that I can say. Let's go to Klamath Falls. Listening on 9:60 a.m. Mike is in Klamath Falls. Mike, I appreciate you calling in. What do you got? I uh, I just want to let you know that I've had quite a variety of jobs. I'm retired now. I did okay. all hay. That was a hard job. I fished in Alaska. That was a really hard job. But my absolute worst job was working for a prominent. A uh, satellite dish TV provider trying to solve people's problems, and you had to answer the question knowing full well that the answers you were giving were not going to solve their problems. And that was very hard on my mental state. Physical is hard, but mental is even worse. I hated that mm. job. Yeah. That's hard. Like, how do you bring yourself to, like, to uh, get back there day after day when you have a job like that, where you know, like, your heart's not in it, your head's not in it. I quit as quick as I could. Just as an <laughs> FYI, the most passionate TV fans are cricket fans, 
And if Cricket. their game is not on, they are going crazy. <laughs> there you go. Cricket fans. Who knew? I thought it was uh, soap opera fans, but cricket. Wow. There you have it. Uh, I think I got one more. I got Phil in Portland. Phil, what do you got for us? Nope, not there. Guys, worst job that you've heard in this segment. What job don't you want? Oh, um, probably the fisherman. That, that, that's just not my thing. Are, have you have you had a bad job that compares to any of this? Can you say, hey, or what's the worst job you've had, Stephen? Uh, that's definitely nothing that compares to these uh, these fellas. They uh, definitely have the cake on me. Um, I would say my worst job for me, it's a. Uh, I think I worked at Dick's Sporting Goods for a little bit. The customer service just not my thing. I don't know. I can't. I can't fake be nice. It's too <laughs> hard. This guy's. I, I, I this guy's logging. Yeah, I've, avo- I've avoided Rattlesnake Mountain. I've avoided what was your man- worst job? I've avoided manual labor. The only manual labor job I've had was I worked at a golf course in the maintenance crew. That it was, it's not. It's fine. I'm not a great maintenance guy, but yeah, whatever. <laughs> I'm dying. All right. Wait a minute. Hey, uh, let's go around the room. Uh, I worked on a boat. I was there 24 hours a day. I was logging. I was on Rattlesnake Mountain. Steven's like, I was at Dick's Sporting Goods. As a professional mattress tester, I just took yeah. naps all day. Hey, you know what? <laughs> Sorry. It was terrible. I'm going to be honest. I'm just going to be honest with the people. I can't fake it. Oh. How about you, Peter? Yeah, professional mattress tester. It was boring. No, um, <laughs> it was probably as a, as a teenager, you know, 17, 18, 19 years old, it was doing all of the the manual labor, literally digging ditches, laying asphalt, running a jackhammer. Uh, but I had no actual skill. It was all the uh, the low-skill yeah. jobs. Therefore, we're talking, you know, this is back in like 1997. I'm making five fifteen an hour yeah. just grinding all day. It was brutal. That makes it worse, too, because I think in some respects, I, I, I had a thing where I had to move irrigation pipes on, on uh, a Christmas tree farm. Everyone sees the Christmas tree farm at Christmas time. I saw it year-round. And you're moving irrigation pipes, you're trimming trees, you're digging out stumps, you're doing all this stuff that's ridiculous. And what was worse was I was making five bucks an hour <laughs> doing it. And, like, I would work so hard. And be out there for eight hours, and then I would get my check at the end of the week, and I would look at the taxes taken out of it, and I would be like, you know, I'll go to the movies, but I'm not going to get a soda because that's like an hour of me working and moving irrigation pipes. Like, and lucky I was young, and, you know, I knew it wasn't forever, but it was worse when I saw the check. At the end of it. Anna, what's the worst job you've ever had? At least you got paid. Yeah. I was just working at my family business. There was no paycheck at the end of that what, day. What was the worst part of it? That was uh, cleaning motel rooms uh, at a 28-unit motel at Northeast 115th and Sandy in Park Rose. And uh, let me tell you, people are not good to hotel rooms uh, on, on Sandy Boulevard. Let's just put it that way. It was a lot of... Cigarette butts and uh, dirty towels, and to this day, like, I just, I loathe cleaning the bathroom in our own house because I had to do it for so many years. It's just a flashback. Yeah, it's like PTSD every time I do the chores in our own house. And when you and I go to a, let's say we're traveling and we go to a hotel, I notice you clean the room up before we leave. 
So there's a little bit of you know what the person who's going to clean the room yeah, is dealing with. that, and if you ever go to a motel or a hotel and they put pillows on your bed that don't have removable pillowcases on them, they're like decorative, immediately remove those. I don't care if you're at a five-star hotel, those pillows have not been washed in who knows how long. Uh, and depending on the establishment, you might also consider turning down the bedspread because the bedspread may not have been washed in quite some time. That's why people come to the show. I want you to leave it here. You got the bald face truth statewide. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Super Bowl coming up on Sunday. I don't know if you're going to a Super Bowl party. You guys going to a Super Bowl party? Steven, you having a party at your house? Peter, you going to go into a Super Bowl party? You know, I don't actually know. I don't know. I know my uh, my wife has been a little uh, not at her healthiest lately, so I haven't mm. even talked about it. But um, I imagine we'll either have people over or we'll just do a little stuff with the kids, make some fun food and stuff. Do you like a Super Bowl party, or is it distracting to you, and you you just like to be alone with the game? Mm, depends on the group. For me, I mean, you can get the fun atmosphere, the perfect balance of friends, people really into the game, people that don't care about the game. It's good, but it can be a little too loud sometimes, a little too intense, or even worse, it can be totally boring if you got no one that even cares about the game. I, I, uh, Anna, you you got a friend who's having a party. We're going to drop by it. They were surprised that I was willing to come to the party. Is that true? Uh, that's what I hear, yeah. So, you know, the, I, like I'm supposed to sit in a dark room and watch the game by myself? Yeah. Have my laptop out, <laughs> you know? Just be focused on the game. Now, look, I've covered Super Bowls in person, and when I'm there in a working capacity, yeah, I'm not, like, filling out a uh, a uh, square pool <laughs> and uh, eating guacamole. But, uh, you know, if we're... Going to go drop in. If you're going to drop in somewhere, yeah, I'd like to go to a Super Bowl party. You're not bringing your laptop? We used to do the coolest thing in college. Uh, my friends started a ritual, uh, like my sophomore year of college. For some reason, we had these two Yahoo friends that were always kind of beefing about, you know, uh, the, you know who was stronger, who was better, who could arm wrestle. So we, uh, as as part of our halftime show at the Super Bowl party, yeah, we cleared out the living room of this guy's house. So we had these two guys wrestle, okay, for about ten minutes. Yeah, settle it right here. Yeah, with like thirty people circled up, like you know, all chanting and cheering and wagering on who's gonna pin who. How'd that work out? Uh, we ended up doing it every year. Yeah. of college. Yeah. So the same tradition. Two, the same two guys would wrestle. Something would get broken, or a hole would get put in the wall. I think we should do that at your friend's party. Yeah, it seems like we should suggest that for this <laughs> Sunday. Know? Yeah. All right, what are we going to do? Clear it out. Yeah, we'll bring chili and a wrestling match. Yes. That, you know, it's always a lot of fun. <laughs> did you do Super Bowl parties with your parents growing up? <laughs> Me? Yeah. Uh, did your yeah, immigrant no. parents understand the Super Bowl? No, no. They were too busy surviving. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like a football game? Yeah. For no. a whole day? Yeah, no. <laughs> you got to dedicate a whole day to this? These are people that work <laughs> seven days a week, 24 hours a day. No, there was no there was no partying as part of their agenda in the in the winter. You know how Facebook gives you, like, uh, here's a reminder. I'm not sure how this works. I'm not a huge Facebook person. But the video popped up recently of our now eight-year-old when she was, like, two. Yeah. And I forget who was playing in the Super Bowl, but I was asking her who's going to win. And she said both teams. Both both teams. 
both yeah. teams. She wanted to go for both teams. <laughs> she was hedging her bets. She wanted to be with the winning team. But uh, I'm just glad that we've got daughters who are into the game. Yeah. You know what I mean? No. They know more about it than I do. They're rooting for someone. They're the rooting for the Chiefs, yeah. Because somebody else beat the 49ers. Yeah, the Eagles did. Yeah. And the eight-year-old's like, hey, we got to root for the AFC. And I just yeah. loved when she said that. I know. My yeah. heart melted. What's going on her here? dad. I was like, she knows the AFC. <laughs> you know, I was like, this is phenomenal. <laughs> My favorite part of this Super Bowl party is she's going to be like, can we get this music off the TV and get back to the football? <laughs> like at halftime. That's going to be the best part. The 5 at 5 is coming up. You got the bald-faced truth statewide. Leave it right here. B. FFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. Anna's job is to uh, build the daughters up, help them build confidence. Help them uh, navigate the world, understand uh, the challenges that a kid should understand uh, as they are released into the wild at age 18 or 19. Get them ready for all that. My job is to teach them the difference between the AFC and the NFC. We have determined that. Seems fair. In our household. It's a Uh, good division of labor. Also, Valentine cards fall under my (laughs) umbrella. Oh, how's that going? It's not good. Is that a big deal in in the uh, first and the third grade, Valentine's? Yeah. Yeah. You can't leave anybody out. There's a new kid showing up on Monday. I got to make sure there's a Valentine for him. You know, there's a lot of pressure. I hope that our daughters are welcoming to the new kid. Yeah. You know what I mean? They will be. I've never been the new kid, but I can't imagine that. Like, I didn't change schools as a kid. And I know know some people who did. Yeah. And uh, that could not have been easy. Yeah. For people who moved around a lot, mm-hmm. and uh, I know that uh, I've talked, I've interviewed athletes before who said, you know, they never went to the same school, you know, for more than a year. Yeah. Went to like ten or twelve different schools all through their upbringing, and I'm like, wow, like what was that like? And it it affected those kids. Well, if they were NBA players, they were just getting ready for the trade deadline. Yeah, some of that, but. <laughs> Uh, we do have the five biggest stories as Anna sees them, all part of the five at five. Let's do it. The five at five. The number one story in Anna's opinion is. There's more asterisks to that now. Uh, NFL Hall of Famer Brett Favre has filed a def- defamation suit in Mississippi against uh, the state auditor Shad White, along with sports commentators Shannon Sharp and Pat McAfee. Barb says the state auditor smeared his name, spreading false narratives that he was connected to the state's multi-million dollar welfare scandal that left several people indicted and facing time in prison. Uh, he's also filed complaints against Shannon Sharp and Pat McAfee, saying that the, these commentators falsely accused him from things like stealing from the poor, stealing from the lowest of the low. Uh, basically defamation, says that he demanded a retraction and apology for all of these statements and uh, that all the defendants failed and refused to do so. It's going to be messy. The auditor I noticed in Mississippi says that they have the audit. Like Brett Favre, they've got nothing on Brett Favre. It's 
you know, it's interesting that the guy who's left out of this is Stephen A. Smith. Because Stephen A. Smith, he's not named in this uh, in this lawsuit. You know, it's not Shannon yet. Sharp, it's Pat McAfee. Here's Stephen A. Here you got a guy that used to that was obviously a star and a Hall of Famer in the National Football League, and you're involved in some scandal like this. This is very, very bad. He does not get a pass on it. But again, we have to be responsible enough to say that these are allegations. He hasn't been proven to be guilty, mm. but it looks very, very bad for him. And the fact that he's hiding out and he's not available for anybody to scrutinize him publicly about exactly what his actions were, what his intent was, et cetera, et cetera, makes it look even worse. I Stephen A. Uh, hedging his bets there. Probably did a nice job of front-loading that statement by <laughs> saying it's just allegations. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. It's going to be interesting to see this uh, sort of unfold. I know Brett Favre's worried about his reputation. Um, as that story points out, he's given back about $1.1 million for speaking fees that he never really earned, that he wasn't entitled to. But we'll see how this unfolds. Number two, Anna, go ahead. Also, Justin, Oklahoma and Texas leaving for the Big 12, leaving the Big 12 for the SEC in the summer of 2024. Ooh, they're going early. Yep, a year earlier than they first stated, the Big 12 will collect $100 in exit fees. Man, uh, the Big 12 is going to push them out a year earlier, take the exit fees. The SEC is going to be happy to have them. I saw Greg Sankey issued a statement, said he's happy to have them. Paul Feinbaum uh, on why... Everybody would want Texas and Oklahoma, not just the SEC. Well, this thing still could be in play for everyone else, Greeny. It is my opinion that these two are are moving toward the SEC. From what I've been told, Texas and Oklahoma reached out to the Southeastern Conference. They, They went through back channels through a law firm. At this point in time, I think Texas and Oklahoma will come to the SEC. And everyone else is going to have to scramble because if, if the SEC gets those two, then everybody else has to start reaching out and grabbing whatever they can. Yeah, Big Ten subsequently went after USC, UCLA. Uh, now the Pac-12 chasing San Diego State, SMU, maybe some others. They'll now go early, though. So this is all accelerated. TV partner ESPN has to like that Texas and Oklahoma will be in the SEC earlier than anticipated. Anna, number three. I thought CBS Sports had an interesting graphic. They uh, pointed out all of the former All-Stars who've been with the Lakers just in the last two years. Okay. There's so much turnover. So, obviously, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook, Carmelo Anthony, Isaiah Thomas, Dwight Howard, Rajon Rondo, DeAndre Jordan, and D'Angelo Russell. That's just in the last two years. Uh, It's funny that a lot of those guys were with the team as their All-Star sort of faded, too. Westbrook, Carmelo, Dwight Howard, uh, Rajon Rondo, uh, you know, as the, you know, DeAndre Jordan, as the star faded, yeah, they uh, hitched themselves to the Lakers. Keep an eye on the Lakers, though. I think they got a little better here at the trade deadline. Number four in the five at five. What do you got? Uh, the NFL's top-selling jerseys by state, according to the company Lids, the Pat people. Now, in Oregon, they're saying that the top-selling NFL player's jersey is Justin Herbert. Washington, D.K. Metcalf. California, George Kittle. And uh, the one that interested me is Dak Prescott sweeps hmm. multiple states. Really? So, yeah. 
Texas, uh, North and South Carolina. Uh, One of the panhandle states. You don't know what the name of is because you're looking at a map with no names on it. Shh, quiet. <laughs> Nebraska. Don't help me. No, Nebraska. Nebraska. Alabama. <laughs> I'm supposed to. I'm supposed to be the news authority here, but I saw you pausing Stop. as you were looking at the map. So mean. I'm a little fuzzy on the Midwest. Okay. The uh, point, point being that cow, the Cowboys are America's team. It's the brand of the Dallas Cowboys that you're seeing on display there. Yeah. You know, and it, it's interesting to kind of look at that map. Is Justin Herbert currently the most popular athlete in the state of Oregon? In the NFL, probably. According to jersey sales. It, Russell Wilson's gone from the Seahawks. The shine's gone there. Got a lot of Niner fans, but yeah, Herbert and his connection to Oregon. There you go. The fifth thing, our five at five. Anna, what do you have? <laughs> I got to get off of my map yeah. of the U.S. Well, You're forgiven. You were busy cleaning a motel room on Sandy Boulevard <laughs> yeah. when you should have been studying geography. All right. Okay. Well, this isn't news that we don't know about anymore, but uh, let's just talk about it. Are the Trailblazers better or worse or the same after having traded trading Josh Hart, after trading away Gary Payton the second? Hmm. Uh, let's talk about this. I I, think, I'm really curious about right. whether they, the they made progress here with these trades or if it's just neutral let's or ju worse. Just judging this year's team on the court, are they better, worse, or the same as they were Two days ago. Steven, Peter, go. Worse. I think they're the same. I'm going to say that. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to say they're the same. And uh, I'm going to say the teams around them, did the West get better? Yeah, the West got better. They stayed the same. It feels like a familiar refrain. And I don't blame Joe Cronin. I think he, is, you know, he had handcuffs on as he's trying to operate at the deadline. Okay, so is the future of the Blazers better then with these trades? I think it's the same. And what they got? I think it, it doesn't change until ownership changes for me. Steven and Peter, you uh, where are you on that? Yeah, I'm with you on that one. It doesn't change until the ownership's changed. Yeah, I mean, in theory, they have a couple assets to make the so-called big move. But, I mean, we'll see. I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah, we, we've been we've been sold that. Yeah. I, don't, I can't even tell you how many years they've mm -hmm. sold that. That's what the GMs in Portland sell. They but, sell you, hey, you know, we're, we've, we've picked up a trade exception. We've picked up a pile of second-round picks. We, you know, we, we have the mid-level. We have, you know, and then we go into the summer, and then they punt it to the draft, and then they punt it to the next trade deadline, and then they, you know, like, good on them. But this is a franchise that's turning in circles right now. It's going nowhere. But, you know, like I saw Damian Lowe's nice post, you know, wishing Josh Hartwell basically thanks for the memories. And so are are the Blazers trying to prepare for a post Damian Lillard? It's not how they're acting. They're act like they they everything they do is sort of centered around, you know, Lillard and Lillard's wishes and you know, but they they just I, I have to think at some point he probably already thinks, man, they should just sell this team to somebody who really will go for it. But he can't say that. But I can say it. Blazer fans can say it. Sell this team to Phil Knight. Two years from now, let's see what's happening. He's going to be 85 this summer. We're running out of time here. Okay? Like, there's no other Phil Knight. That's the thing that 
I don't think Jody Allen and Burt Cold care about, but Blazer fans should and do. That's the five at five. Five biggest things going on. I, you know, look, I don't need them to win all the time. And you know what? I don't. I don't even blame Joe Cronin. Does anybody blame Joe Cronin? Peter, do you blame him for doing what he did today? Like, I just, I think he. This is kind of what he had in front of him. Yeah, it's literally, it's basically, if Blazer fans were listening to him this offseason, it's essentially what he said he was going to do, and it's the only movie really had to do. It's disappointing. I would like to see in free agency, you know, they go out and they they uh, overspend. They they say, hey, we're okay being a taxpayer. We're, you know, we're uh, salary cap be damned. We're going for it. You know, we realize Lillard's got two years here in this window. You know, we're going to, we're going to go right after the Phoenix Suns and and we're going to matter in the West, but, you know, I'm not holding my breath for that because I, I actually want to live through the summer. So that's where we are. Coming up next, we're going to Arizona, site of the Super Bowl. We're going to get a visit from uh, Haley Lewis, who is a sports anchor at the NBC affiliate in Kansas City. She joined us prior to the AFC Championship game to talk about Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid. What's the status of Mahomes' ankle? Haley Lewis from the Super Bowl next. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with The Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game. Super Bowl coming along Sunday. Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. Jalen Hurts and the Eagles. They'll meet in Arizona. Uh, we visited with Haley Lewis, formerly of Fox Sports Eugene, now anchoring sports for the NBC affiliate in Kansas City. She's joining us now from the Super Bowl. Hey, what has this been like, covering this team in the run-up to the game? Hey, what's up, man? I feel like it's a long time no talk, you know? We I were know. talking last week about how, how we didn't even know if the Chiefs would be here, and, and now we're here, and it's uh, – it's crazy, you know. I think uh, everything right now is just hectic and crazy. This is what five years as a starter for Patrick Mahomes, and now just in four seasons, he's brought the Chiefs to the Super Bowl. So, you know, all team ahead. It's it's, it's wild. It, does the does the Chiefs have an advantage in that they have been through the circus before, and the Eagles? This is you know Jalen Hurts his first time, or is that a non-factor? Yeah. I mean, I think so, because I was talking about it earlier, and it's kind of wild that Patrick Mahomes is the mature quarterback in this, right? He's 27, and he everyone keeps using the term old, which just makes me feel like I need to set up a Botox appointment or something, because we're calling a 27-year-old old. I mean, the kid's 27, but Jalen Hurts is 24, and like you said, there's he hasn't been to the big dance before, right? He hasn't been to the biggest stage, and I, I'm curious about that. Is that something that's going to mess with the Eagles? Because... When you look at the roster, sure, they've had a lot of guys in the Super Bowl, but really the Chiefs have more consistency on people who have been to the Super Bowl, players who have been to the Super Bowl with the Chiefs, and players who have actually won the Super Bowl with Kansas City. So the experience is definitely going to come into it. And I think when we talk to coaches and players, especially from the coach's perspective, it's teams who can handle the distractions in Super Bowl week to the best of their abilities that tends to come out on top on game day, right? So I think you have to factor in the fact but the Chiefs have been here before. They've done it before. They've lost and they've won. So they have that under their belt, and, and I think that's going to play into Sunday for sure. But not to say that Jalen Hurts can't come out there and be, you know, the star-studded kid, but it's going to play into it for sure. I'm curious because, you know, you've got the Phoenix Suns making this huge deal for Kevin Durant. Super Bowl City is <laughs> Glen, Glendale, which is outside of Phoenix. But, you know, how much 
It, did that story overshadow maybe what was going on last night or today around the Super Bowl in your mind? I mean, I think there's so much going on right now in Arizona. It seems like Arizona's the place to be for sports, right? We've got golf going on here. I know our sports director was taking a break from the field the other day, hitting the green. There's so many things happening. And then for us locally, we have our sporting club, which is our MLS team out there doing spring training. We have, you know, pitchers and catchers reporting here at the end of the week for, our, for the Royals. There's a lot going on in Arizona, if, if you look at it from that perspective. And like you mentioned, other headlines that have been overwhelming it. But, I mean, I, think, I don't think the Super Bowl has been hidden from the headlines by any means. I think tonight with the NFL Honors is going to bring it back into the forefront. That's for sure. But who knew that Arizona would be the mecca of the sports world in, in like, late February? Haley Lewis with us, uh, NBC, Kansas City. She's at the Super Bowl City uh, prepared. What's the NFL honors? Give us uh, give us a preview of what you will see as part of this, uh, you know, uh, this event that recognizes the best players and the best performances of the year. Yeah. So actually, so sadly, I have to say I'm I'm in Kansas City still. Oh, I am uh, okay. holding down the fort here in KC. I wish I was in Phoenix. It, it seems beautiful and fun, but I'll tell you from our our crew's perspective. You know, NFL honors tonight, the biggest deal, I think, is not necessarily that Patrick Mahomes gets the MVP because it seems as if he's a shoe-in, even from national media, from everywhere we've been able to look. If you're trying to look at it from an unbiased opinion, it looks like Mahomes has got it in the bag. But I think for the Chiefs, a really big thing that's up for them tonight is the defensive player of the year, and, and that's Chris Jones. You know, he's had an exceptional year. He had two sacks. In, in the AFC title game just a couple of weeks ago, a breakout season for him, his best since 2018. So I think if, if Chris Jones is able to continue to level up as a defensive tackle, that's going to be a huge honor. Of course, he's going against some, some big-time names as well. But it's honors is fun, right? And it's also on NBC, which is fun for us. So it's, it's going to be a party. And if Mahomes gets the MVP, I think it just it, it exudes confidence even more so as you go into Sunday. All right, you mentioned Mahomes. We've got to talk about his ankle. You were right in a, we- a week ago when you talked about, or two weeks ago as we talked in front of the AFC title game, you talked about that high ankle sprain and how it would factor in the game. Yeah. Uh, Andy Reid's saying that he'll be able to run all the plays. Do you trust Andy Reid there? Is that coach, <laughs> coach speak? I, I, here, here's what I'll say. He's going to be able to run all the plays that Andy Reid's going to call. It doesn't necessarily mean it's all the all the plays in his playbook, right? I think that they're going to specifically tailor it for what Mahomes can do because that's, that's what worries me going into this, especially with the defensive line that the Eagles are going to be putting up. And when you got Orlando Brown and you got Andrew Wiley and the edge, that's something that concerns me, especially when Patrick Mahomes has this high ankle sprain. And one of the abilities that he's been able to play off is the fact that he is elusive. He can go in and out of the pocket. He can be mobile. That's something that concerns me because the playbook that they're going to have to use in the Super Bowl, although he feels and says he's 100%, I mean, you can't lie and say that you didn't see how much his ankle was hurting him in the AFC title game. He even came out afterwards saying how much it hurt him. So even if he's 100% with adrenaline, I think he'll be able to get everything he needs to get done, done. But does that include the plethora of Mahomes' magic? I'm not so sure. And it does, 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 does make me so nervous when I think about the edge and that defensive line coming in from Philly. This Chiefs team feels like it's been around the Super Bowl forever, and I know it's only just been this window, (laughs) but let's say win or lose, the future of the Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes as the quarterback, you know, this is not a Tyreek Hill Chiefs team, Mahomes is the, it's his team, 
But is this a team that's got some staying power? How 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 long does this window stay open for them? I mean, are we talking dynasty quite yet? I'm not sure. Uh, it's going to be about you know the team who can continue to come back. I know. For a fact, there's going to be a lot of moving and shaking after this season, right? you got Eric Bieniemy, the offensive coordinator, most likely leaving. Probably Matt Nagy coming over, who's the quarterback's coach right now for the Chiefs as the OC again for Kansas City. Uh, possibly losing their defensive coordinator simply on his own terms. He might be stepping away uh, or being an assistant in a smaller capacity. So I think a lot of changes on the coaching side are bound to happen regardless of what happens. So that does change. Is this going to be a legacy? Is this a dynasty or is this a team who just had this wonderful five-year run and then they have to wait a couple more years before they come back? I will also say it's nice that Tom Brady is not going to be on any field anytime soon, or we hope so. So that might be helping the Chiefs and Aidy Mahomes to get back on top because right now he's the only, you know, if he wins on Sunday, he's the only active quarterback in the NFL to have two Super Bowl wins with Brady retiring. So I think that's unknown. Let's let's see how Sunday plays out and if this team could put something together a little bit banged up. Uh, and if they win, then I think it's the start of a start of a dynasty. If they don't, I think they gotta really revisit a lot of things. I noticed uh, for the NFC championship game the police in Philadelphia were on high alert. They were greasing down the poles. They were the, the yeah. Philadelphia, yeah. The Philadelphia news entities reported that their traffic on their websites had doubled with the Eagles' oh traffic. What does it look like in Kansas City? Do you see an increase in web traffic, interest, viewership, or is it just kind of like this all the time because of Mahomes? I'm not gonna lie. You will see a little more from outsiders kind of view in, but the Kansas City faithful are faithful from training camp all the way through, right? They're they're tuning in just as excited about the Super Bowl as they were about a week two matchup. It's odd, but I love it. Chiefs Kingdom is faithful. They're strong. Uh, I don't think they like to climb on any poles. We like to keep it a little bit classy here in Kansas City, uh, but we definitely celebrate. They're wild. They're crazy. And I think Kansas City was really put on the map the first time that Mahomes took the Chiefs to the Super Bowl and won in, in Super Bowl 54. So Kansas City's going to be lively, they're going to be wild, but they're, they're like this all the time. So it's kind of exciting, you know. they got a new fan base here, and people are starting to take notice. You're in Kansas City at the NBC affiliate. Uh, Pete, listeners in mm-hmm. Eugene may recognize Haley from uh, her time at Fox Sports Eugene and in, in Eugene covering the, Ormond, <laughs> uh, the Oregon Ducks. Uh, this movie is coming out, the, uh, the Phil Knight movie with Ben Affleck playing Phil Knight and yeah. Matt Damon playing Sonny Vaccaro. The trailer dropped today. I got to know, are you buying Ben Affleck playing Phil Knight in this movie that comes out in April? Listen, I didn't buy him playing Batman. I'm sure as hell not buying him playing Phil Knight. No hate on the man. I mean, he's a, he's a gorgeous man to look at. But uh, I saw the trailer a little bit actually before he, we got on this call, and I was just like, ah. I don't know. How, how are people in Oregon viewing it? Because for me, it's a little bit removed. I don't see it. I'm going to watch this movie, but Ben Affleck would not have been my first choice as casting right? Phil Knight. Yeah. I'm sure Phil's happy about uh, it. I'm sure he's happy oh, for about sure, it. Yeah. Did you ever interview Phil Knight? Did you get a one-on-one? Did you quote him? Did you put him on camera when you were in Eugene? I, I mean, did I put him on camera? Absolutely. Did I get a one-on-one? No, you know I was in the scrum with my little microphone holding the camera on my shoulder trying to get the best angle I could. But I remember the first time we ever got to interview him in a group setting. I just was, I was shaking. I was so nervous because 
that that's such an icon, right? Such a staple in sports. It was so so cool to see him, and then all blacked out, decked out, walking around at, at the old Hayward Field at the time that I was there. Pretty cool to see him. Haley, I appreciate you making time for us. Uh, I'm picking the Chiefs. Do you like the Chiefs hey. to win this game? Hey, yes, I do. I do. I mean, I got to say it, but I, I am more, you know what, let me say, I'm not lying to you now that I'm picking the Chiefs. Two weeks ago, I got to admit I was lying to you. I'm not lying this time <laughs> around. I'm, just, I'm not going to say it's a high-scoring game. Uh, I think everyone is assuming it's going to be a high-scoring game. I'm, I've taken 28-21 Chiefs. Now, I could be totally, absolutely wrong, and no one should ever bet on that. I'm not saying I know anything, um, but I feel good about those numbers. I've lost them in. I've said them confidently on air multiple times, and we're going to go. roll with it. Haley Lewis with the pick. Hey, appreciate you making time for us. Uh, wish you the best. Thank you, Haley. Hey, appreciate it, John. Have a good weekend. All right. There it is. From Kansas City, the angle of the Chiefs. We'll go to Philadelphia on tomorrow's show to give you uh, some flavor of the Super Bowl. Coming up, we will talk about the Air movie. Ben Affleck and Matt Damon are making a movie about Nike's pursuit of Michael Jordan. The trailer dropped today. Affleck will play Phil Knight. Damon will play Sonny Vaccaro. The film is out April 5th. I'm going to see it, but we'll talk about it next. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, we're getting the first look at the movie that will be made about Phil Knight and Sonny Vaccaro and Nike's pursuit of Michael Jordan back in the day. Uh, the movie is called Air. It will be out in April. Jason Bateman's in it. Marlon Wayans is in it. Chris Tucker's in it. Um, Viola Davis is in the in the movie as well. Uh, Nike, as many of you know, was launched in the early 1970s, and uh, and uh, you know started as a small business that grew and exploded and really exploded when Sonny Vaccaro got Michael Jordan to sign with Nike. Um, Phil Knight is played by Ben Affleck in the movie. Now, um, I'm I'm going to reserve my judgment till after I see the film, but I did watch the trailer, and I got to say that Ben Affleck it was I think a really generous choice to be cast as Phil Knight in this movie, as was Matt Damon as Sonny Vaccaro. I think both of those guys would be like, hell yeah. Like Sonny Vaccaro, I've known Sonny. I knew him for a long time and known him for years, but we've had him on this show. And But Sonny um, would be the first to tell you that that it was Matt Damon is a kind uh, casting call. But this is Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, like back to Goodwill Hunting, making a movie like they want to make a movie. I'm all about this, and it's a movie that is set in our backyard. Why wouldn't I be into it? Uh, I'm excited about seeing this. Stephen, Peter, Ben Affleck, cast as Phil Knight, Matt Damon as Sonny Vaccaro. Are you into this film? Yeah, I'll give it a watch. I mean, I think it's just because, you know, being in the backyard of Nike and all that, I think I will give it a watch. I mean, good for uh, good for Phil Knight to have uh, Ben Affleck be played by you. You know, I think that's compliment to you, I guess. Like, you got to feel good about it. But, uh, I mean, I feel like if you're really going just for straight looks – 
and straight attitude. It might be a little different, but you know, I think I think Ben would probably do a solid job. So I'll, I'll give it a watch. How about you, Peter? Yeah, are you in? Are you into this? Yeah, I'm. In, I'm into it. Full disclosure: I have not seen the trailer yet, so okay. I, I reserve the right to like look at it here in a commercial break and then change my okay. mind. But I'm into the idea. I love it. And and again, as someone who uh, you know goes to a lot of movies, this is a story that needs to be told. I'm into anything okay. that has to do with Oregon. Yeah, I'm down. All right, so here's what I want you to do. The trailer's two minutes long. Go look at it right now. Just okay. back away from the mic. Got turn it. off your mic. Go look at it. I want your live reaction. As you're hearing it, and uh, frankly, I I'm into it because I'm interested in it. And we've had some of the supporting characters here on the show. Fred Schreier, who was uh, the head of uh, Nike Sports Marketing and Sports Management, the first agent that was in house at Nike, was on this show a couple of times, and we've talked with him. I'm going to get him back on to kind of talk about what it was like to negotiate that deal, because even though Vaccaro and Knight were at the center of it. They had a bunch of people at Nike who were involved in the actual negotiation, not just of Michael Jordan's, uh, you know, sneaker deal, but ty- getting Tiger Woods after that, landing Tiger in that whole campaign, landing LeBron, and what LeBron has done for the Nike brand. Like it's not, you know, it's no accident that Phil Knight was sitting courtside to see LeBron make history the other night. It wasn't, you know, Phil wasn't there because he bought a ticket and had a, got a good deal on StubHub. He was sitting next to Bronny and Bryce James, LeBron's kids, like, you know, Uncle Phil would be sitting there, right? Like, literally, Uncle Phil in that scenario. So, uh, I think in the state of Oregon, this this film's going to do really well. I think with basketball fans, it'll be a hit. Um, It reminds me a little bit of the hoopla that was around the Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance, that came out early in the pandemic. Like, I was waiting for those episodes to drop. And, uh, you know, after I got through the Tiger King, it, it turned to... Michael in the Last Dance. I'm really excited. I'll see this thing. It, w- it may not be opening night, uh, but it'll be. It won't be long after that that I go see this movie. I want Peter's live reaction after he watches the yeah, two he's, minute trailer. He's still watching it. I'm watching still, it. Right now. But, uh, is he jumping around or what is he doing? He he, ra- he raises eyebrows. He raises yeah. eyebrows. You get a little eyebrow raise. I think it's good. Um, the question for me is like Michael Jordan. I mean, he's getting all this publicity again. Like I feel like people in the younger generations are now going to find out Michael Jordan and just. The greatness that he was. I think it's uh, almost tactical by him. It's good. Look, in all of these documentaries, like, I'm sure LeBron's team will have a LeBron documentary out, you know, as he's going off to ride into the sunset here in a few years. But, you know, Jordan and his, it was the Michael Jordan Last Dance documentary was Jordan's depiction of his time. And, you know, it was very favorable for him. But I have to be honest, I lived through that. I was a teenage kid watching Michael Jordan. It wasn't like fiction to watch the the wins that Jordan posted and all of that. And so I'm curious to see how much of, you know, the Jordan story, Sonny Vaccaro, I got to get Sonny, like we got to get in touch with Sonny, but how much of this story resonates with people who maybe are younger? Or is it just going to be, uh, is it going to be a, a, the, the rest of us kind of looking at it going, oh, we remember that time and, 
younger people going, I don't care about 1984. I don't care what happened with Michael Jordan back in the day. Peter, I got to know what he thinks of yeah. the trailer. Yeah. Go ahead. It, it, it looks good. I can sort of buy Ben Affleck uh, as Phil Knight, but the, you know, I'm able to suspend disbelief. But I think that this is going to get a pretty strong reaction. Uh, to your point, a lot of younger people are, sh- are shoeheads, sneakerheads. They're mm. going to be into the idea of how the first Air Jordan started. Obviously, people our generation are going to be into it. think there might be some uh, some pushback on this movie as well, though. A lot of people that are uh, not fans of Nike and maybe labor practices probably going to get this film in the news because it's going to be a pretty much a glowing representation of Nike. But I'm ready to see this. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm fired up about it. So I, I'll go for it. Um, uh, do we need a break here, Stephen, or I got a few more minutes? You got two so, minutes. Okay, so we got Bo in Oregon City who's been holding forever. He he uh, was part of the segment earlier in the show where we were talking about the worst job you ever had. Bo in Oregon City has waited, and I'm going to put him on. Bo, worst yes. job you ever had. Go ahead. Okay, the worst job I ever had was uh, when I was 15 years old. That was uh, uh, that was uh, 56 years ago, so I'm 71, so it's been quite a okay. while. But anyway, uh, I had a job where uh, actually I was uh, uh, drafted, you might say, my uh, I was waiting for my brother to get off the work in a factory, and uh, they woke me up and says, "Hey, how old are you?" And I said, "15." And he says, "Well, you're 18 now." And my so I guess my brother had uh, this all set up, so I signed up, and I started working. And what my job was, I had to pull these tom turkeys out of a truck that's been in the truck for uh, quite a long time, and so I pull them out stuff that's fallen on inside there, you know what they are. Yeah. <laughs> As I pulled them out, uh, they're, they're kicking. They're, hit, you know, hitting me with the stuff right in my eyes and uh, in my mouth. The feathers are flying, and the the wings are hitting me on my legs. And So these are live chickens? They're live turkeys, they're I mean? Live turkeys coming out of the back of a truck that's been in there, and it's during the summer. They're getting ready oh. for it. <laughs> it's so pretty bad. What that so smell like? Working all day, and uh, so I'm leaving, and I'm, I'm so tired. I go to sleep right away in the car. You know, I don't talk to my brother. I go get, get home, and I said, "I'm no way. I'm going to go to work tomorrow." And my brother goes, "Hey, I'm going to tell you how. You know, I my, actually my leg was actually black and blue on the inside where I got hit by the wings, and uh, because I'm holding away from these because I didn't like them. Eddie was like a whip. Yeah. And he started laughing. He says, "Well, what are you going to do? You got to." Pull them in, put it on your uh, thigh, and lift it up with your leg and hook them on. They're, they're hooked up upside down. And they're flopping everywhere. There's dust, you know, feathers everywhere. <laughs> and so it was the highest paid job, which was about $1.60 or less. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, it. yeah, but he was 16, and, you know, he, to him that was great. And we were athletic young guys, you know. And so that's how I got my job. And it was so good, this job, that they once one once in a while they said that the, some of the workers would quit, and that would shut down the factory. Nobody wanted to do the job. And they one time, this is a story. I don't know for sure that this happened, but they asked. There's a penitentiary in Salem. They asked them to come over and uh, work, get them to work for them. They look at the job, and they says, you know, we're trying to encourage them to go to work. You know, when they come out of society, this is not going to encourage them. So they didn't let them work there. So it, 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 does it give you perspective for the rest of your life when you go to get jobs? You can you go, know, at least it's not that thing that I did before. Right. 
<laughs> Amen to that. I appreciate you holding to share that. You got turkey whipped. That's no fun. Leave it here. You got the BFT. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Peter Sampson in the Pulse coming up top of the hour. Peter, you're going to be all over the trade deadline, I'm assuming, yeah? It is literally the only thing I'm going to talk about for an hour, yeah. All right, so if you want more trade deadline, Peter Sampson uh, on the future of the Blazers, the current state of the union and the NBA, and uh, a whole lot of other stuff, uh, he will be uh, breaking it down coming up top of the hour 10 minutes from now. So if you're listening on 750 The Game, just leave it right there. Uh, the opening uh, segment of Peter's show, always fantastic. You will thank me later. Uh, Peter Sampson in the Pulse. Uh, Stephen, uh, are you going to do a podcast related to the trade deadline? I saw some some scuttlebutt about that. Yeah, so we uh, we just actually recorded right after the trade deadline happened. So uh, it's in production. We'll be out uh, hopefully within a day or two. And, uh, yeah, so Believe in Blazers podcast. We'll be bringing that out there. How do people find that? Uh, they just uh, Google Believe in Blazers podcast, and they can find it that way or anywhere podcasts are. Just Believe in Blazers, B-L-E-A-V, Believe, and uh, it'll pop right up. All right, there you go. All of that will be uh, wrapping up your NBA trade deadline. I feel like the uh, one thing that I haven't gone too much into is the Washington-Washington State bill that was uh, proposed in the state legislature in the state of Washington. Uh, the state legislature is in a legislative session that lasts 105 days. They do this in odd-numbered years. I found that out. Uh, they're currently on day number 32, and these lawmakers are talking about some serious stuff, right? They're talking about business. They're talking about education, technology, agriculture, everything that they need to uh, that they need to get into. Um, you talk about uh, uh, serious stuff, like you know, one thing that they're not going to talk about though is Pac-12 football. Uh, SB 5206. SB 5206 was supposed to give lawmakers in Washington the approval authority over conference realignment decisions involving Washington and Washington State. Basically, this was fallout from UCLA and USC leaving for the Big Ten Conference um, and the mess that we saw around the UC Regents and UCLA. So lawmakers in Washington were trying to be proactive here. I get what they were trying to do. I think they had good intentions. They did not want to see... Washington State get left behind if Washington left for the Big Ten. So three state senators in the state of Washington uh, decided to sponsor this bill, uh, but I found out today that the bill will not be pushed forward. Uh, a source at the state capitol in Washington told me that the 12-team playoff and the apparent lack of a deep Big Ten interest in adding more teams made the bill feel moot. So... Lawmakers decided they would not sort of push this thing along. Um, I learned, uh, like a lot of you in my American government class in high school, how a bill becomes a law. Uh, or on Saturday morning cartoons, you saw how a bill becomes a law. Uh, but I'm here to tell you that the lawmakers in Washington are saying that even though they've written this bill, they've proposed this bill, they're just not going to get behind it right now because of two reasons. One, 
they don't think the Big Ten's serious about trying to poach more teams from the Pac-12. So they think Washington State, Washington, sort of, there's going to be a reprieve here. Uh, the expansion of the college football playoff probably plays a role into that as well. Secondarily, though, and maybe more importantly, from their standpoint, I think there was some reservation from the lawmakers in Washington. And keep in mind, if you're in the state of Oregon, there may be some of this that comes up with Oregon and Oregon State. So I think it's interesting. Arizona, Arizona State may deal with it as well. But apparently the president at Washington State, Kirk Schultz, who's been on this show, has a really good relationship with Anna Marie Casse, the president at Washington, who's also been on this show. Now, they serve together on the Pac-12 CEO group's executive committee. They are not just on the CEO group. They are two of the top three senior members when it comes to seniority and tenure among the presidents in the Pac-12. So uh, you got Schultz and you got Anna Marie Casse as sort of, uh, you know, the uh, president and vice president of the executive, you know, the, P, the CEO group, all the rest of the chancellors. So um, they were, there was some, I guess there was some reservation from the lawmakers in trying to pit these two entities against each other. Because what would have happened, like, as they are, you know, trying to figure out should they pass this into a law, they would have got testimony from the president at Washington State. They would have got testimony from the president at Washington. And naturally, the president of Washington State would have been pitted in a position where they're going, hey, we... You know, Washington has this advantage. Washington has that advantage. You know, we, we don't need to, we, we can't be left behind. And this is why it's important. All the stuff we saw that was part of the Regents meeting with UCLA leaving Cal behind. So uh, I don't think the lawmakers wanted to put the presidents at odds. They were like, why are we doing this? We're causing an unnecessary fracture between Washington and Washington State. So lawmakers instead, and I think this is a good move, decided to step back. There's no point in rallying everyone up over a non-issue. Uh, this is going to be an unnecessary dust-up. And, oh, by the way, college presidents across the country kind of police themselves on this matter by expanding the playoff. Oregon, Washington, Washington State, Arizona, Arizona State, they have an easier path to the playoff in the Pac-12 than they would by leaving and going somewhere else. So I think that kind of ends the debate right there. Plus, if you're reading the room here and you're a lawmaker, like I think a lot of times lawmakers get accused of being out of touch and probably justifiably so. Different world they're living in as they're trying to make laws than the world we're all living in, as you heard on today's show, people holding jackhammers and, uh, you know, wrestling turkeys and bailing hay. Different world. So I think they're reading the room here. And they're going, this isn't really worth the trouble. And I think Oregon and Oregon State know they belong together. Washington and Washington State know they belong together. Arizona and Arizona State, they don't, they don't need a law to tell them that they belong together. Like a lot of times I think laws get passed that are good laws, have a purpose, they solve a problem. Uh, you, know, the, you know, the law is necessary and important. But I think sometimes we just need to trust that the entities understand that they don't need a law to tell them what they need to do here. I think the UCLA thing is a big-time outlier. I think UCLA was 
acting in its own interest, not thinking at all about Cal, not, of course not thinking about the Pac-12. And I got to think that Washington and Oregon, as tempted as they might be to make a move, uh, they operate a little differently. I think they would know that they can't just jump to another conference. And, you know, if they did that, I do think lawmakers would then get involved. But I think they got this right. Let this thing kind of dissipate, see where the dust settles after the Pac-12 gets its media rights done, they, they go to expand. Uh, I don't think there's a danger here of Washington leaving Washington State behind, in, in part because Washington and Oregon don't have anywhere to go right now. They just don't. The Big Ten is not taking them. The, uh, the playoff makes it you know, a no-brainer. Like If you want to win Phil Knight a national championship, Think about this. Do you really want to take Oregon's athletic department and stick it in the Big Ten? Like, Phil Knight's going to be 85. Do you want to put Oregon in the Big Ten for the next five years, seven years? You know, however long Phil Knight, let's say he lives to be 100. Next 15 years. You put Oregon in the Big Ten, do they have a better shot to win a national title than they do in the Pac-12? No, they don't. They're going to have a clearer path trying to beat Utah, Arizona State, Arizona Oregon State, Washington, than they are going to have trying to beat Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, and Wisconsin, and USC. Like, it's a no-brainer to me that Rob Mullins at the University of Oregon and uh, Jen Cohen at the University of Washington are going to look at the landscape and go, if we want to win it while I'm the AD, let's just say that, five 10 years, 15, if we want to win in that window, is it better to be in the Big Ten, flying all over the country, trying to beat Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, or is it better to try to beat Washington State, Oregon State, Arizona? Hmm. It's not a hard question. So I think the lawmakers got it right in letting this one kind of evaporate. Uh, I get what they were trying to do, but I don't see the point in continuing that fight. Uh, and, look, I applaud that because sometimes you just see the lawmakers will go and you go, what are you doing? There's no point in this. So I think they came to their senses, and I think it's good. All right, uh, coming up, Peter Sampson in the Pulse. I talked about it earlier. Give the start of his show a chance. Give it a listen. He will start right away. There's hardly a commercial break, just an update, and bingo, he's on. So leave it here as he talks about the NBA trade deadline and unpacks it all. We're back tomorrow with a great Friday show. We're going to Philadelphia tomorrow. We're going to Philly, and we're going to find out, are they climbing the light poles already? Are they getting ready? Would it be better for the city of Philadelphia for the Eagles to win or lose? Uh, I mean, how much damage and how much destruction? Plus, can Jalen Hurts beat Patrick Mahomes head-to-head? Big questions on tomorrow's show.